Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Got it! Crowd cheers. Here's Siddle. He's got it! listeners and welcome to a brand new episode of Two Slips in the Gully. I'm joined by my namesake only tonight. How are you, Aaron? I'm well, thanks, Aaron. How are you doing? I am excellent. We have an astonishing array of cricket news to cover in this episode. I think this one's going to be a long one, so uh, listeners out there that are, you might want to strap in, I think this one's going to occupy your time for quite a while. If you've got one of those uh, you know, trans-Tasman flights, this might get you there, I well, think. We're thinking that you couldn't be in a better place. Yeah. Really, if you want to talk about hear about cricket, because we're going to talk and you're going to hear about cricket. And there's there's plenty to talk about. We have a gargantuan Australian squad that is picked for the tour to Sri Lanka. Thirty four players in the squad, including an A squad. It's not just a. Um, the main squad, but 34 players are going over there, and that doesn't include people like uh, Ben McDermott and uh, Marcus Harris, who were features of the last squad. So um, that's the case. Uh, England have announced their uh, brand-new test captain, and we'll have a bit of a chat about that. Indeed, we will. And uh, if you were listening to our last episode, we uh, said that we are going to start a new segment where we, as Two Slips and a Gully, are going to break down what we think are the best Test 11s by country of all time. And we're starting off our list with the West Indies, um, which is, there's plenty. There are so many amazing cricketers that come out of the West Indies. So uh, we actually thought we'd pick this one. It would be a fairly straightforward one. There'd be a uh, bit of conjecture about yeah. which fast bowlers you'd take, but uh, there'd be lots of locks. You're, like, you're obviously going to pick you know, half, you know, a fair f- amount of players, and then you're sort of just arguing over maybe... Do you take the spinner? Which quick do you take? And and but it's as we've gone into it, we're looking into more and more of the background, more and more of these 
incredible cricketers just kept uh, coming out of the woodwork, and you're like, how do you have a team of 11 that doesn't have this guy or a team of 11 that doesn't have this guy? And so um, hopefully all of them end up being as uh, informative and as rewarding to pick as this one. But uh, for one that we thought was going to be a nice straightforward one to cut our teeth on and um, well, work was, it out. That was kind of the idea, wasn't it? We thought just a bit, you know, just sort of ease ourselves into it with some, a team that will be relatively easy to pick. Jeez. <laughs> I have done hours of research on this. Okay, I submitted a team a couple of weeks ago just for argument's sake, and basically in that time, I've revisited that probably three or four times. <laughs> and I can make a case for basically not picking half of the guys I pick first. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah, that, it's going to be an interesting conversation, that one. Uh, and it just goes to show, and we'll obviously cover it more later on when we get down there, but just... You know, they always they always say it's been um, a saying for a while that tech, cricket is good if the West Indies are good. If the West Indies have a good side, world cricket is doing well. And it, I hope that uh, the the West Indies get back on that upswing. They're obviously um, they've been there's they've been signs. They, they've been a good side in the the limited overs format um, for a while. They look like they might be on a bit of a downswing. From from that, some guys like Gale and and um, Kieran and Pollard, Kieran Pollard and Bravo are uh, yeah. stepping away from the side, but they've always just got this factory line of you know aggressive stroke makers to to uh, power their limited over sides. But their test side's been you know like let's not mince words, it's been mediocre yeah. for a while. Um, flashes of brilliance um, had a fast bowling quartet that I think what two thousand and nineteen. We're doing a fantastic job, but never really seemed to put everything together, um, especially with the bat. Uh, and hopefully that they get uh, get on a bit of an upswing and uncover some talent and really start gelling as a side. Because going through this, there are some astonishing cricketers that have come out of these islands. The heritage of the of the batting is extraordinary, and we don't we're not you know like I'm, you know obviously being a, a couple of decades older than you, I well I've seen a lot more of the West Indies and some players who, you know, I will bring up in the conversation who obviously aren't going to make the team, but they're like, wow. You know, guys like Alvin Kalacharan, Roy Fredericks. I remember seeing Roy Fredericks hook Jeff Thompson out of the Gabba as a, as a young man. You oh, Kalacharan was um, one of the, like, Initial plays picked for World Series cricket. Yeah. He was considered that highly. I don't believe he ended. Did he end? No, he did. He ended up playing, didn't he? Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah and was... He went back after that and, and played Test cricket again. Mm. So um, he was a fine player. He was a wonderful player. Um, guys like Lawrence Rowe. You know, type in Lawrence Rowe on your Google search and have a look at his first couple of Test matches. Um, extraordinary. I thought, you know, double hundred and a hundred in the same Test match, and you know, stuff like that. Guys who aren't even a show of being in this West Indies 11. Yeah. Not necessarily household names, but, yeah, no. just I, I think the two that a lot of people may not look at is when you're going back to sort of it's probably the 80s, mid-80s back, the thing you really need to be looking at almost as much as their test record, especially when the West Indies are successful and you could be a very good cricketer and not make the West Indies side regularly, is look at their first-class record because... Yes. Players played a lot more first-class yeah. cricket then. So guys you, you, like Sylvester Clark, who mm. only played a handful of test matches, probably the most frightening bowler that I think I've ever seen. 
Yeah, like there are some like when you've got a <laughs> the bowling attack that the disposal of West Indies had, you know. You just got to imagine how many. Re- like, look at the like Australia is a great example now. We've got plenty of bowlers that are coming through that you, we're all going to say, you know, why isn't Jai Richardson getting a go? Why isn't Michael Nisa getting a go? Why isn't Scott Boland getting a go? These are guys that all have you know yeah. fairly good records both domestically and at Test cricket, and that's the same thing in the West Indies. They'll, well, they would have been in the same boat for the the yeah. four bowlers they were running in. There was probably a dozen of them behind there with just staggeringly oh, good stats. That there just, was. There was guys like Colin Croft, mm. oh, another scary, scary man. You know, and like one of the most unique bowling actions where he'd almost come in behind the umpire, and then this massive leap outwards, and his front foot would end up somewhere out near the return crease, and letting the ball go at that angle at ninety miles an hour. Yeah, and like he's a guy who isn't going to be in the conversation, but just one of those production lines. Yeah. You know, Wayne Daniel, another guy who had big success in India, actually. did very, very well in India for the West Indies a couple of times. Um, you know, they have, they have a rich heritage, a very rich heritage. And so, so hopefully they uh, can start to untap that and, and revitalise their test side and because, yeah, it would be great to see the West Indies contending for the World Test Championship. Like, I love watching, you know, the one-day cricket and not so much the T20 cricket, but, like, as much as the next guy. But, you know, Test cricket is obviously... Anyone that's been listening to this podcast for a while would know that Test cricket is where my passion is and where our passion is, and it'd be great to see the West Indies um, get back to that sort of level. But before we get into that, we're going to get stuck into having a look at the Australian uh, squad to Sri Lanka right after this. As we said at the off, 34 players have been taken on the tour to Sri Lanka, and I hope you're ready because I'm going to list them all out here. So the T20 squad is obviously skipped by Aaron Finch, Sean Abbott, Ashton Agar, Josh Hazelwood, Josh Inglis, Mitchell Marsh, Maxwell, Richardson, Richardson, so that's Jai and Kane, Steve Smith, Mitchell Stark, Marcus Stoinis, Mitchell Swepson, Matthew Wade, and David Warner. So some some points coming out of that is obviously, obviously that um, Swepson, no, sorry not Swepson, that uh, Kane Richardson's got himself back into the side, which after yeah. a bit of a hiatus, so that's good. I'm a, a bit of a fan of of um, of Kane Richardson. He's I'm a done bit of well. a fan of both the, of the Richardsons actually. Yeah, so they, they, yeah. they they bring something, don't they? This will be Jai's first international game since that uh, five for at uh, at Adelaide. Yeah. I'm pretty sure in the Ashes. Yeah. Uh, Sean Abbott uh, again has made the side and. He's one that, in theory, looks really good. He's performed really well for um, for New South Wales and and for the Sydney Sixers, but uh, uh, tends to go for a lot of runs when he gets to that next level. So, and he's not as young as people think he is. I'm pretty sure no, he's, he's pushing. Around a while. He's pushing thirty now. So, um, if he's going to be, you know, in the mix and wants to sort of play more consistent cricket, he's going to have to do. Um, quite a lot with uh, these opportunities. But when you've got uh, Kane Richardson and Josh Hazelwood in this side... Um, where, do you, where does he slide in? Where does he slide in? Um, some omissions that I thought were a bit surprising. Daniel Sams didn't get a go. Um, and, um, he hasn't had a great IPL, and I think the current form is, has counted against him in this mm. selection. I mean, I've seen him. I mean, just ask Pat Cummins how well he's bowling. <laughs> um, Ben McDermott 
didn't a, get a run. A surprise. Um, he's uh, he's staying over and playing county cricket, which I, I suppose is is interesting on the proviso that they're looking at him potentially for more red ball honours yeah. down the track, which I hope is the case if they're if they're uh, squeezing him out. So um, and then obviously you've got um, you know Matthew Wade. Uh, there, who's probably going to end up taking the gloves yeah. as being that uh, that closer. So a, a strong looking squad there. Uh, we move to the ODI squad. So again, Aaron Finch features. Ashton Agar again features. Alex Carey joins the squad. Uh, Pat Cummins. Well, actually, that was an omission from the T20 side. Pat Cummins isn't playing the T20s. He's uh, I assume being rested after the the IPL leading into the test of the year. So Cummins makes his way back to the ODI well, he's squad. He's got plenty of T20 cricket under his belt. Yeah. At, the, at this stage of the thing, we really don't need to be trotting him out on this. I'm much more be ready to play test matches. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Cam Green joins the side. Hazelwood obviously is there again. Travis Head, after those blistering knocks in Pakistan, um, is there. Inglis is there. Labashane is there. Mitchell Marsh, Glenn Maxwell, Steve Smith, Mitchell Stark, Marcus Stoinis, Swepson, and David Warner. So um, a lot of familiar faces, but, yeah, we've got the additions of Green, Carey, and Cummins. Well, and uh, Travis Head. Green is basically, you know, just, this is just a natural progression for him, I think. That, you know, the, he's just dominated 50 over cricket in Australia in the last couple of years. Do you, so, do you think Green gets a, is in the run-on squad with Mitch Marsh being in that side? I think and he, you've got Marcus Stoinis there as well? I think both Stoinis and um, Marsh need to be looking over their shoulder. Well, I would have to think after the year that Marsh just had in the white ball cricket, he his spot's going to be pretty safe as long as he's fit. Well, you certainly, but you, you're probably going to be looking to bat him at, oh, fairly high in the order, I would imagine. Yeah, well, I would think that what well, you're looking at that uh, Finch and Warner would probably be there, I'd imagine, and then you'd have some combination of Smith and Marsh would be three and four. Yeah. And then you'd be looking from there, so you've got... Um, which kind of pushes Labuschagne down the pecking order, I think, a little bit. Unfortunately for him, but yeah, look, I think we, we, you want. He's a fine it. player, and I think yeah. he's going to play a lot in all three formats for Australia. But I think at the moment he's a rotate. If you're going to play yeah. um, Smith in that side, yeah. I don't think you can play Smith and, and Labuschagne. Because no. um, you've also got. Travis Head, and he'd have to be difficult to drop from that one day side after what he did in Pakistan. But you've got Warner coming back, and you assume that Warner and Finch will take up the top of the order, which will shuffle Head to maybe go Head at four or three or four, shuffling Smith down, and then you go Warner. Smith bats four, I think. Well, if you do that, if you go, if you do that, you could potentially go Warner, Finch, Head, Smith, which is left, right, left, right. And then you get down to from there, you know, Maxwell, Marsh. Yeah. Um, well, Maxi bats five. Carey to if, if, finish uh, off the. That, this is this is where I think Mitch Marsh has his problem, okay? Because you're either going to pick him higher up the order due to the success he's had in the twenty in the twenty twenties, and he's done res- relatively well in, in one day cricket as well. Um, I don't see a place for both him and Cam Green in the side, yeah. and I would much rather take Cam Green. So, and I'm not a great fan of Mitch Marshall, but the first to, to admit that, you know, like kudos to him for what he's done over the preceding 18 months or so, but he's had his chance. I think that we're looking to the future, 
then you can't play him and Cam Green in the same team. And if you well, have to have a choice, I think you have to go with Green. I, I, I'm, I'm, it's confusing me because I'd normally be straight there with you because I'm also not a particularly big fan of Mitch Marsh. But I, have to, I think at the moment, Green has got so much cricket in front of him and Marsh, in theory, is a proven commodity at the white ball game at the moment and has earned his extended run. So I would think... Heading into the first one-day international, Marsh should have his nose in front of Cam Green. I don't think you can play both. And if it comes down to either or, like, you know, McDonald might have something else in mind and might be trying to play to play them all in there. So he might be trying to play um, a really long batting line and having – but if it comes down to Green or Marsh, I'd say at the moment – it's Marsh's spot to lose because what he did over the last 18 months in the white ball game – that's that's what we want from Mitch Marsh. Yeah. That's what we wish that he was like six years ago when he was getting starts that he didn't deserve, yeah. and he's finally clicked. I don't know what it's what went on in his head, but he the light switch has turned on. He's figured out. It's simplified his game, and, and he's doing what we want him to do. So yeah. for the time being, I would say that Marsh should be the incumbent ahead of Green. But that being said, Marsh is coming back from. Some, some injuries. I think he was ruled out for COVID over in the IPL. So yeah. he's over that now. So I don't think that's going to have any lingering effects on his ability to play cricket. So if he's coming in fully fit, I would imagine that Marsh is a ticket ahead. But that's a, that's a phenomenal squad because we're looking at that. You've still got Stoinis, who's a fantastic hitter. Josh Inglis is probably on the outside looking in because Carey will almost certainly take the gloves. Yeah. Um, Carey's form in one-day cricket has been exceptional for Australia, really. He's done pretty well. Uh, and I'm just looking. So we've got so Cummins there, Hazelwood's there. So there you th- and, and Stark's there. So there's your three the big quicks. Threes, yeah. um, and you're going to play. I imagine that you know the bigger the bigger mission here, obviously, is Zampa. Yeah. Well, there is no Zampa. Zampa well, Zampa stayed home. I think for the Burfies. That's right. Yeah. So, so I'm wondering what. So Agar would almost certainly play all of the games then as the the experienced spinner, and yeah. then you'd be looking at combination of Maxwell and maybe Swepson, depending on how the pitches go, yeah. being being picked in there. So Look, I, I it could imagine. end up being with that that you might end up getting uh, multiples of um, Green and and Marsh purely to play enough so, bowlers because yeah. I'll probably want to go, if it turns out to be a real spinning wicket, they'll probably want to play um, Swepson yeah. and then Agar. So there's two of your quicks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you'd imagine that Cummins and... And Stark would probably play almost all of the games. Uh, And so, yeah, they might need them just for the pure bowling coverage. So could be interesting. Uh, And then we move on to the test squad. So Cummins is is the captain of this one. Ashton Agar has made the the squad. Scott Bolland has retained his spot. Alex Carey, Cameron Green, Josh Hazelwood, Travis Head, Josh Inglis, Usman Khawaja, Marnus Labuschagne, Nathan Lyon, Mitchell Marsh returns to the test squad. Steve Smith, Mitchell Stark, Mitchell Swepson, and David Warner. So the big one from there that um, I'm personally happy about, and I'm sure you'll be in the same boat, is that we've moved on from Marcus Harris. Yeah, the decision had to be made. I'm sorry, but, you know, and I know that he's gone over to England and he's making some runs over there. And I think that's good um, for him. He needs yeah. to get some runs under the belt and he's not going to get a run. No. The at- fact that he's not even in the Australia A squad, that actually, yeah, that's, yeah that, that is concerning. That basically should, should be saying to him, mate, you need to go away and have a couple of thousand run seasons. 
and you may get another chance I, I don't even, in your career. I don't even know if it's weight of runs. I think that he's got to fundamentally change parts of his bat. technique. Yes. Um, yeah. I, I think he's, he's one of those. we've talked about a lot with him, and he, he he's tried to take steps to rectify it, and you can see that. We've, he still has, I'm not sure what, who advises him about um, trigger movements and footwork and stuff like that. He's got an unusual trigger movement, and I think it puts him in a, a compromised position for anything that is around about metal stump that leaves him. Anything that's directed towards that slip cordon, he is in. He doesn't get far enough forward, and he doesn't get far enough back because he he seems to have his weight stuck on both feet all the time. Mm. And he's not a particularly good lever of the ball either. No. He likes to feel bad on ball. Uh, and, you know, Warner had the issues over various points of his career, but I felt I feel that Warner, especially at the peak of his powers, was a very technically correct batsman yeah. um, when he was defending. Uh, so when he was setting up to leave and setting up to defend, he had all of his ducks in a row and wasn't doing anything funky. Like he, no. you know, sometimes he's got an interesting way of playing square of the wicket, but when yeah. he's defending, yeah. it's very classical the way that he yeah, defends. He's got a nice high front elbow and a very straight bat face. Um, like that's we, not something that you associate normally with Marcus Harris because he doesn't play with a straight bat face. Well, I think one, you know, Warner copped a lot of criticism and deserve, deservedly so for his 2019 Ashes. But the best score that he had of that series was a yeah. 50 or 50 yeah. or 60 odd um, in the third test on what I thought, to be honest, were the hardest batting conditions of the series. Yeah. Stuart Broad had that ball on a string and was just doing whatever he wanted with it, and he must have beaten the outside edge of David Warner about 40 times. Um, But David Warner just played the line of the ball, straight bat, you know, straight bat face, held his line, didn't chase the ball. That's how you play swing bowling. And, you know... Yeah, he managed to survive long enough to score some runs. I don't. I think if the conditions were a little more favourable for batting, he probably would have gotten out sooner. Because I think a lot of the time, Broad was, was just too, was, was too good. Yeah. But Warner, I don't remember Warner chasing anything. No, he it was just he was this very, is the line I'm playing, and if I nick it, I nick it, and if I don't, then uh, I'll live to yeah. play him. the next one. That takes a lot of discipline mm. as a batsman, and to ingrain that into your technique. And that's something I don't think Marcus Harris has. I don't think he's got that presence around off stump. He keeps getting, mm. you know, admittedly he copped a couple of really good balls in the Ashes that weren't, but, but he also be, copped some really stupid ones. And yeah. when you're, you know, when you're copping really good balls for low scores, you really can't afford to get out to the stupid ones. No. Um, and, and yeah, and, he, and he's paid the price. And so Kawaja, I would imagine, would be holding a spot at the top of the order. Yeah, I think Kawaja has designated himself as a test opener for the rest of his career, mm. however long that may be, whether it's... This is going to be a bit of a test for Kawaja, it will. I feel. It's going to be a test for everybody, but this will be particularly a test for Kawaja because historically, despite what people say, he's been pretty bad against spin. He's played spin okay in Australia where the ball doesn't, doesn't really, really spin. spin. Um, and he played it okay in Pakistan where the ball didn't, didn't turn and didn't turn quickly. No. This is where the, the, the thing about playing spin is what uh, I think a lot of people don't really get is that you can play spin all day if you know the ball's coming slowly and you know how far it's going to turn. If you don't know how fast it's going to spin, how high it's going to bounce and how far it's going to turn, that's a totally different kettle of fish to being able to set yourself up in a position to 
you're basically waiting for the ball to do what you know it's going to do when you're there waiting for it. Mm. When you try and do that against balls that are going to be variable, that are going to spin faster, that are going to shoot along the ground, are going to jump up in the air at you, which I guarantee you these Sri Lankan wickets are going to do from probably lunch lunch time <laughs> on the first day would be my guess. You know, once the hard rollers are worn off, whoever's won the titles, you know. Um, it's going to be a test for him. Yeah. Okay. And he, one thing I will give Kawaja a lot of credit for is what we were basically just talking about is he looked at his technique and how often he gets out playing that flick shot that he likes to play through the covers or, or roundabout point and nicking off into the slips. Yeah. Okay. He's modified that now to the point where when the ball's moving around, he does what we were just talking about, what Warner's doing to Broad. He'll play a line. And he doesn't deviate from playing that line. But that in that, there's a certain amount of premeditation that you think the ball's going to do this and you're only going to play down that line. And the ball starts doing different things and it starts making you f- feel for yeah, the ball. Dragging you through dragging the ball. Dragging you to the ball. That's a different animal entirely. And that, I think he needs to be careful. It doesn't bring out that vulnerability towards being caught behind the wicket again. Because it was actually a bunch of subcontinent tours that we brought, you know, Kawaja yeah. along as this gun young him. New South Wales yeah. batsman, you know, brought him in the ashes after we got smoked. Yeah. He went over to South Africa and had a couple of good knocks and he was supposed to be this big, bright beacon of the future of Australian cricket. He was the next big thing. And then he got himself in a position where we could only play him at home. He was yeah. just, because we had a bunch of subcontinent tours, he was rubbish everywhere and we dropped him. Yeah. And then I, I don't think... With the, ex- well, with the exception of Pakistan, he hasn't gone to the subcontinent. Well, he hasn't. He's, since been, the, then. he's been to the UAE and he's been to Pakistan. And neither of those pitches particularly do what you were describing. They're slow turners as yes. opposed to... They're the, slow, predictable, bouncing turners. And there's a reason why, when you look at Kawaja's record, that he has an astonishing record at the, the SCG because it is typically the uh, slowest, slowest, slowest wicket in Australia. Yes. And going over to Pakistan and... Nothing happened. The ball did nothing yeah. on those wickets, um, and he did well. And this is going to be a big test for him. He's going to be back in conditions that really don't suit him, and it's going to see how much of a renaissance you know, this turn of form is. Is it just Kawaja has managed to, to time a good run of domestic oh, runs yeah. into a test run right into where he's playing half a dozen straight tests on wickets that suit him into the ground, yeah. or has he actually turned a corner and, you know, you can teach an old dog new tricks yeah. because uh, this is going to be I've a big no test. I've no doubt the old dog has learned a couple of new tricks. Oh, yeah. Just looking at him, you know, technically to me he looks... He's a completely different animal to the yeah. guy that got dropped in the 2019 yeah. Ashes. Oh, he my was, word is. I mean, that guy was averaging 22 or something, 23, he and, averaged, and had averaged it for a long time. He was poking and prodding at things, and yeah. he just looks he looks uh, more assured yeah. of the crease, and he looks more assertive. He's, yeah. He looks like he's there, and he wants to score runs and get on with it, whereas mm-hmm. I think Kawaja was getting into a sort of a, a, I just a, a mindset hang of around. hang around, and the runs will come if I hang around. And yeah. since, since coming back into the side, he's tried to look to score more, and I think that's helped him out because he's... Yeah, I don't know how strong his defence is in comparison to his attacking game, and I think the fact that he's not relying on his defence as much means that those ones that he gets a little lazy to, no. 
he's not nicking off to because he's he's not being lazy because he's looking to be assertive. So he can't be lazy because I'm looking to score. Um, and so it's been great. It's been a great turnaround. I've been I've I've kicked him repeatedly on this show, and I've I copped humble pie to the face when he came back and absolutely tore the palms and Pakistan apart. And I hope it keeps going because we're going to need him too because this is not going to be a an easy tour. But Sri Lanka are struggling in comparison to the, the sides they've had in the past, but this is going this to be is a, them on their home territory, and we can go we, we can go into the, yeah. the conversation about preparing wickets for your own team, and that's fine. You know, as long as you know what it's going to be, and that's consistent, and there's no great surprises about when you turn up to what's normally a fast bowlers paradise, and it's a dusty turn up. You know what I mean? Like we had in South Africa. We sort of, we know yeah. what we're going to get when we go to Cairns. And they're already talking about it. They're talking yeah. about it now that um, they're, they're looking at playing, that they might have to play three spinners. Yeah. Uh, and it's going to be a definite possibility. And I suppose that I'll ask the question is, looking at that squad that we've got, and, and uh, uh, Andrew McDonald has come out and said that players that have, Part of the limited overs squad, you know, could potentially be considered to, to be added to the squad, which I suppose then raises, you know, could we see a, a baggy green for Glenn Maxwell? Does he dust that off and come back? But uh, where do they go if they're going to play the three spinners? So looking at the test squad, your spinners are Sweps and Line and Agar. Yeah. Um, Would you be confident going into a, a test match with those three spinners? Line picks himself, okay? Sweps and still the unknown quantity, despite the glimpses that we've seen in Pakistan. Agar, is he good enough to play that? Role and look, oh. let's face it, if you play free spinners, are they all going to get enough of a go to make it worthwhile for them? I think because obviously people are going to be calling for for Maxwell to be in, in the consideration for this because, um, yeah, he, he hasn't is. played a first class game in three years. When I was actually putting together, like, you know, working out what we're going to talk about for this one, like, for a long, long time, I've always been in the camp that we. We dudded Glenn Maxwell. He should have gotten a go after he scored that that hundred at Ranchi, batting at six, leading into an Ashes right. series. And it did. should have been him. And, and I was prepared for a very long time to say, yeah, if Maxwell gets into the squad and gets given a go, then good on him because it's you know he was owed that from before. But I had I was thinking about it and gone well. If Glenn Maxwell really desperately wanted to go and play Test cricket again, how often has he turned down the IPL to go and play county cricket? That's right. Or anything like that. To get red ball cricket under his belt. Like he's sitting there and he said, it's not fair that I don't get goes because I'm playing one-day cricket for Australia so I don't get to play the Victorium. But you look at Mitchell Stark. Mitchell Stark hasn't played in the IPL despite for a long time being one of the premier short-form bowlers for I think the last five or six iterations of the IPL because yeah. he's taken time off to to work on his game or get his body right. He's making sacrifices because he wants to keep playing test cricket, test cricket for Australia. Australia. Yeah. And and I just I'm thinking to myself, what yeah, it's unfair that he didn't get that he got dropped leading into that Ashes series because he definitely should have been there. If you're scoring that hundred at Ranchi, he should have been that should have been enough to put his not his foot, but his most of his leg through the door and go, you know, because he backed that up with a really strong start to his Shield season. It should have been him. Mm. Especially then when Hanscom gets dropped mid-series. Mm. It should have been him. But we went with Mitch Marsh. And, and, so, and I get it. You felt hard done by it. Probably should have been you. But what I wonder what 
and you know someone might be able to point it out that I've I've overlooked it, but I can't remember really Maxwell making any big sacrifices to show I want the baggy green back. Mm. He's always yeah, he's missing like he missed last year. He missed subcontinent, um, so the trip to the West Indies to go and play in the IPL. Mm. Like he, I, I don't ever see him just missing those tournaments to go and play first-class cricket somewhere. No. So I'm, And it's not like he wouldn't have the opportunity. You're telling me that it wouldn't be a... a, a, a oh, every, there'd, be, every, there'd be a Div... Even yeah. the, I'd, he'd make a Div 1 county team, but there'd be a Div 2 county team for sure that yeah. would just be like, oh, we don't care that he's the you know, the T20 bloke. He'd surely right. get a start in our, yeah. our, final, our yeah. best and 11. What like, you need to remember too, Glenn Maxwell does have a first-class double 100. Yeah, he's, okay. a, he's a handy yeah. first-class yeah. player for... Um, Victor, and he just yeah, hasn't played it for a long time. And mm. so I would be reminisced to think that, look, if they came down to it and they gave Glenn Maxwell a go, good on him. Mm. He probably should have got a bigger run, but I, I'm not in the camp that's pushing for Maxwell to get it because mm. at the end of the day, what has he done to say to the selectors, I'm pick prepared me. to do what you need me, to, what I need to do to get back into the side. Yeah. It's been, oh, he didn't pick me. Well, that's fine. Well, I'll go and earn you know, millions of dollars playing IPL, and then when, when the chance comes around again, we'll see where we are. But, you know, he hasn't really gone and, and forced that issue. Hasn't yeah. gone and... Like Marcus Harris. Marcus Harris got dropped from the Australian side and then went to county cricket to and try and improve his game. Hasn't panned out, but he's taking those steps to yeah. to try and improve. And There's and, a proactivity about mm. what he's doing as opposed to Maxwell just being more than happy to say, oh, Okay. I'm going to do my thing. I'm and do if my, my thing, thing. And if you want me, you know where to find me sort of thing. Yeah. And it's like, mate, really. Um, I've got no problem with you being in the test team. Don't get me wrong. You know, like I think if they felt that that's the way they want to go, you can make an argument for him to be in the test team. You bat him at six. Yeah, I'd say six. You're going to bat him at six. So you're probably going to push. You're going to drop a batsman for him. Yeah, I can't, okay. I can't see us dropping. If you're going to go... Because you're going to play him as the third spinner. Yeah. You, you're not going to you're not going to take Agar, so you're going to have him at six, Kerry seven. And you're going to try and not compromise your The two bowlers, the two spinners. Yeah. 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 Um, but I'm not... I'm not pushing super hard for that because at some point, I think, like, if you really desperately wanted that baggy green, he would have found a way to show that he was... I agree. ...to play more first-class cricket. I agree. What, actually, that's a good point about um, talking about desperation to get back to play, you know, baggy green. Young Renshaw, I think he has had... He's doing everything. I'm a big fan of Matt Yeah, Renshaw. I'm a big fan of Matt Renshaw and as well. I, I think, you know, like, to see that... Um, He's in the Australian A squad, yeah, and he's had—I think he scored two county hundreds so far. Yeah, and I'm and pretty sure he's playing for a Div One team. I'd have to yeah. double check my facts yeah. on that, but I'm pretty sure he's opening for and a Div One yeah, county he's, team. Yeah, he's back opening the batting. Hmm. Okay, and there's actually an article on um, cricket.com. You know, I'll be in there somewhere. I don't want to look it up now, but um, they're talking about you know and what his goals are, and he was talking about what my goals are, and he's saying I want to play Test cricket for Australia. And I don't care if I open. I don't care if I bat in the middle order. I will do what they tell me to do. If he gets an opening batting under his belt, I reckon he is. You know, yeah. If he has a good eighteen months, yeah. he's not far away from locking that spot down. Because you got Warner's, Warner and Kawaja are both. There's less cricket in front of them than oh, behind. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, what Warner Warner can't have much more than another season in him. Kawaja's thirty-five as well. Do you know what? Like Kawaja's one form slump away from being gone. 
I wouldn't be shocked at all if Warner retires at the end of the World Cup. Yeah, no, would I? Um, not saying that he should, There's been, but it, I wouldn't it, surprise me if he did. Yeah, look, he he'll do that and go and play IPL for a couple of more years and to know, spend time up, with his kids. He's got three, was it three beautiful kids at the moment? So yeah. yeah, I can see why there'd be a push for him to do that. Circling back to your original question around playing the three spinners, I think the only way around it would be to drop a batsman. Yeah. You I, can't you can't drop one of those bowlers. I can't they? I can't see them going in with only two quicks. No. Um Cameron Green has to play, yeah. even with his prowess with the bat, he yeah. would be playing. Yeah. Um which would be one of your quick. And I can't see them going in with, say, Cummins and Green and those being the only options. No, that, that won't happen. So you have two designated opening bowlers. Australia won't play, you know, I can't ever see them. With the battery of fast bowlers that we've got, it's almost cutting your nose off to spite your face to say, well, you know, even though conditions like this, but we're not going to take two genuine 140k an hour plus fast bowlers into a test match. The last time we went to Sri Lanka, Stark was our um, leading wicket-taker and had the best average. So... Stark is a player that can succeed in subcontinent conditions. And I suppose what that means is the odd man out would be Travis Head, who is just the Ashes hero, player of the series, and three tests later is looking like potentially being out of the squad. But it's gonna if he's out of the squad, it'll be for on a horses for course yeah. policy. That's what it is, and I think if you if your squad is well built enough and is strong enough within itself. You you you're not happy about it, but you accept that. I just say, look, mate. You know, we think it's the best way to go in these conditions. You will get your chance again. You will be first picked in, you know, our home test. Okay, and then we'll, we'll take it from there. But we need to see you go to these low, slow wickets and make some runs. Because at the moment, I would be thinking that we would go in with the same attack, the same team that we went for the last test. Yeah. So um, head at five, green at six, carry, and then the two spinners and the two quicks. Yeah. If Australia decides, no, we need three genuine frontline quicks, I would be thinking at this point you would drop head, you'd bump carry to six, and you'd play agar at seven. The, the reason why I'd go that way as opposed to going Maxwell at six um, and having him as a spinner is that – Lyon and Maxwell are both off spinners, yeah. whereas Agar being a tall left-arm orthodox yeah. offers something different. Yeah. So you've got a leg spinner, the, you've got a left-arm orthodox. The thing about orthodox. Agar is he'll bring control to the situation where he's not under the gun like the are in T20 cricket where mm. he controls the situation very well. If you have a set fields, it'll be very nullifying for him. Yeah. You know, where you, you're not just going to be able to knock it around and get singles and stuff like that. You're going to need to take him on to get some runs because you'll bowl that nag and just darting it in at your off staff, darting it in your off Occasionally you'll get one to turn away, but that's what you'll get from him. Yeah, I can see them really looking at him in that Jadeja sort of role. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah Jadeja, Axa Patel sort of thing where, you know, tall left arm and comes around the wicket. Doesn't particularly in, get a lot of turn. Yeah, drops it in there about 90, 92 Ks an hour roughly all the time and always making you have it make a decision. Yeah. You've got to, you've got to do something. And I think that, that covers our bases. We've got, obviously, the off-spin from the GOAT, Nathan Lyon, uh, Swepson coming in. And I think Swepson, this is going to be a big series for Swepson because we'll give him a bit of a pass. He wasn't particularly good over in, in Pakistan. There was patches where he was excellent. He had some drop catches, which would have really helped his figures. 
but there was a lot of crap that he bowled. Yeah, too many full tosses and long hops. And he didn't really get any assistance from the wicket. So these ones should turn. Yeah. There should be proper turn here. So his leg break, which isn't it's not a it's never been a big leg break, yeah. but he should get a bit more assistance from there with his leg breaks. So this is going to be a big series for Swepson. Um hundred percent will should play. Not by any stretch saying that he's in any risk of not being if there's going to be two spinners, he's you know, risk of being supplanted. He's definitely Spinner number two, mm-hmm. but um, we're going to want to see a bit more consistency in terms of getting rid of some of those long hops. Not expecting him to turn into Shane Warne, no. but you know he start, he had a spell where the first two balls of his first two overs were both full tosses. Mm. He went full toss four, full toss four, and then got four decent balls out. And the next over, full toss four, full toss four. So you've bowled. 12 balls. For 16 you've, runs. And you've, but gone, you've actually bowled reasonably well in those two overs, yeah. but you've gone for 16 runs. You, leg spinners get hammered in test cricket if they don't find their, num- find their muck range. Yeah. Okay? You, you can't. I think it's going to be interesting to see who the Sri Lankans play as well. Yeah, definitely. Okay, yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing Hasaranga. Hopefully yeah. he uh, gets a, a, a spot in the side. Because he will. He will cause major problems mm. on turning wickets. I mean, I've been watching a little bit of him in the IPL. And, he's exceptional, and he mind. is a he quality is. bat too if you yeah. give him enough time at it. Yeah. So, uh, moving on, before we jump out into having a look at the uh, the English captain, we better have a look at the Australian A squad because there are some exciting prospects in there. So, uh, Sean Abbott and uh, Scott Bolland uh, have been named in that squad. So, obviously, there is um, a, not. Not a lot of crossover, so there's you know you could put potentially put yourself up for a spot in the test side because Bolland's named in both. Yeah. Uh, Peter Hanscom has been rewarded for a very strong couple of years domestically, um, and typically plays well in spinning conditions. So yeah. um, good to see him getting a run. Aaron Hardy, uh, who we talked about in our last episode yeah. about being one of the bright upcoming lights of Australian cricket, um, ex- uh, astonishing finish to the Shield. Season for him, he gets rewarded. Marcus Harris actually did make the Australian A squad. Oh, oh, so, he did too. Apologies. <laughs> uh, he shouldn't be there, but anyway. Travis Head is in the Australian A squad, so I think that'll be good for him. He'll get a chance to, to play maybe a bit of first-class cricket and solidify his spot yeah. in the side. Because I think the questions will be there that um, you know you you didn't look really comfortable in Pakistan. You know, he'd have to be thinking. He'd have to be thinking like we're thinking. He'd be looking at that squad going, if we're playing three spinners, I'm in trouble here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't, they're not going to drop They're not going to drop Cummins. He's a captain. Yeah. I can't see him dropping Stark. They're not dropping Green. He's the gun all-rounder. Carey's the keeper. Smith and Labashane are Smith and Labashane. <laughs> we're not dropping them. Yeah. And then we've got um, Warner and Kawaja, and we're yeah. certainly not dropping. So it's, it's looking like at that point... Warner and, and Travis Head are probably the two, the only two expendable players, and I can't see him dropping uh, a specialist opener to play two makeshift openers in um, in the subcontinent. So he'd be looking at that going, oh, I need to get some runs under my belt. So this is a good opportunity for him. Hopefully he goes out and does it. Henry Hunt, who yes. we've been talking yes. up for a while, is yeah. getting a... Um, well, I was actually looking at, at, this, at this squad, and you look at it, and there's Matt Renshaw and Henry Hunt. In that squad, and you know, I can see in a couple of years, there being a, being the test openers for Australia. 
Well, uh, this will be a good for for Renshaw because his last games for Australia were a subcontinent tour, and he yeah. actually. You know, he faded towards the end of the tour, but he started off really promising. I'm pretty yeah. sure it was an Indian tour as well. Yeah. Um, they didn't get a 70 or something. Yeah, and a really yeah. horrid day for batting too. Yeah. Just just gross, yuck yeah. conditions to be playing sport, and he did yeah. really well on his first uh, first trip out there. Um, so, yeah, so Henry Hunt and, and um, Matthew Renshaw, who I'm hoping will open the batting, so that's um, really great for them. Uh, Josh Inglis is in that squad. Matthew Kuhneman, who has um, spent this season well, as the lead spinner for Queensland with yeah. Swepson being out and has, has done a good job. Yeah. Well, it, I mean, it's interesting when you look at the age squad, okay, that they've taken, they've got three spinners in there as well and like three specialist spinners. Yeah, well, that's actually the, the talking point that I wanted to get. So I'll go through the rest of the names. So Nick Maddinson, uh, again, has been scoring runs for... Um, Victoria for a while. Great to see him getting included. Uh, Todd Murphy, who we'll circle back to. He's one of the guys I wanted to talk about. Uh, Josh Phillippe, which yeah. I think is a great move. He's yeah. an exciting young cricketer for Australia. Um, making, lots to offer. And making first-class runs now. Mm, looking like Steve Smith light all the time. And yeah. then has been it's his breakout year for the first class. You know, Inglis yeah. missed a lot of games with the World Cup and, yeah. and things like that. So Phillippe has really found himself a home in that middle order for WA and scored a lot of runs. Uh, Jai Richardson will get his crack at first-class cricket, maybe hoping to sort of jag a... Um, a spot in the test squad as being that guy with a bit of extra pace. Yeah. Um, Tanvi Sanger, who is I'm a big fan of and I think will, you know, sneakily, depending on how long Lyon wants to go on for, I think Sanger might pip everyone else. So obviously Swepson's looking like the, the next in line, yeah. but I think Lyon might try to carry on long enough that Tanvi Sanger will get enough cricket under his belt that he'll be a legitimate Contender. Contender and yeah. probably pip them because he is an excellent spinner. Yeah. Excellent spinner. And uh, the more games he plays for Australia, the better. We round out the squad with Mark Steckety. Yeah. So I wanted to circle back to Todd Murphy, um, who is a young off spinner that has a handful of games under first class yeah, games under his first belt. First class games or something. And, uh, and is now in an Australian squad. And do um, you know what other famous Australian spinner had a very similar origin story? Nathan Lyon, when he was selected to go to a tour to Sri Lanka, yeah. he'd only had about four or five first class games under his belt. Was that, I thought he had more than that. No, it was it was bugger all. He might have been playing. I think like, he played a few list A and domestic T Twenty games, but yeah. uh, we got noticed. But he only had a handful of, of first class games under his belt. It was less. It was definitely less than ten. I'm pretty sure it was five. Mm-hmm. Um, found his way over to the squad to Sri Lanka. Ended up getting a test berth. And got Pfeiffer. Got Pfeiffer. I think he got, what, he got Jai Wardner and Sangakara. Was that who he picked up? Was his yeah. first, yeah, first first few wickets? Yeah. Um, yeah, so this young, unassuming off-spinner comes in, and I'm like, well, this is this has got um, Nathan Lyon 2.0 vibes <laughs> right here. Um, and I've I got to be honest, I'm not going to pretend that I know a lot about him. As soon as I saw that name, I was straight onto my cricket. Who is this guy? Well, that was um, that was my first reaction because I, I'd seen his name in the squad and my first reaction was to message you and say, who is this guy? Because if anybody was, I know was going to know who he was, it would be you. And if no, you didn't know who he was. No clue. Absolutely no clue. No clue. So um, we thank you, Google. Uh, but, yeah, so my cricket and Google, and he actually ended up taking across his the last year. So there was a combination of first-class games 
um, T20 games, Victorian Premier League games, um, ended up taking about 60 wickets at 19. Which so, is, that's seriously good so they're, numbers. They're, for pretty, good num- they're yeah. pretty good numbers. So, um, yeah, I'm not suggesting that he's going to, you know, shark everyone and might end up being that extra spinner for Australia come the first test. But uh, No, well, I mean, if you, you're not going to play another off spinner. I mean, I think we've pretty much established that. You're gonna, if you're going to play the three spinners, you play three different spinners. Yeah. I don't think that unless you had two very, very good off spinners, and I think it's very premature to be saying that we've got two very, very good off spinners. Yeah. Um, I think if there's anyone that's going to make the squad from that uh, as a uh, as a player uh, a bowler that's going to make the squad from that, it'd be Canby Sanger. Yeah, that'd be the guy. That'd, the guy be, I that'd can be the smoky that you would, you know, the but, one that you'd pull out of the hat. But that is like you know, well, yeah. the odds on that would be. I don't think I don't think any spinner is going to make the the main. I don't think any player from that Australia A squad is going to make the test squad. The test squad no. for the the first test. But it'll be a good opportunity. The only thing it be would be Travis Head sort of um, reinforcing his sort of grip on that uh, number five spot, um, and then maybe you know someone potentially like a, a Renshaw or someone like that, or maybe a Marcus Harris saying I'm ready to go if there's an injury because they've talked about using Marcus Harris. Well, I suppose what would happen: Marcus Harris would go to the top of the order, Kawaja would fill whatever spot. You know, if a Labuschagne or a Smith got injured, yeah. and if Renshaw would there's played all through the order now, if someone got injured, he just again he'd slot into yeah. whatever vacant spot there was. Um, so yeah, that's yeah, a lot of the cricketers going over there. And the one final point before I wanted to go on here is I think it is a little bit concerning and something that Australia might want to look at rectifying in the near future that. Um, We've we've got we don't have a gun spinner per state sort of thing. Todd Murphy has been picked out of complete obscurity as we've got Swepson and Lyon two. Yeah. Then we've got Sanger who's played one first class season. Uh, Kuhneman, who hasn't really done a great deal until he's had a, a proper go at it this season. Yeah. Um, and then we've got Agar who's hasn't really played a great deal, uh, and then Todd Murphy. Mm. Like, that that's that's where we've gone to. We've run out of spinners. We've had to pick a guy playing grade cricket, basically, in Melbourne mm. to be to be in this squad. He, he, so, he's the future prospect. So why – that's that's not even one spinner per state. I mean, no, and Kuhneman like, and Swepson are from Queensland. Yeah, and Lyon and Sanger are from, from New, New South, South Wales. Wales. So, so there's nothing in South Australia. You, you, you don't expect to get many spinners out of Western Australia, full stop. You've got Kuhneman from Queensland who's been around the traps for whatever. And just sort of um, waiting for yeah, a chance to break out. Yeah. But so, you know, you'd think that if, you know, we were going to have, we were going to take six spinners on a tour, they'd all be reasonably established, sort of like our fast bowlers. If we're taking six fast bowlers on a tour, they've, they've yeah. got quite a pedigree behind them. Yeah. And um, yeah, I think it's a little bit concerning that uh, that there is a, a very significant lack of depth in our spin department. Well, we don't really, as a general rule, produce spinning wickets. Like only Adelaide and the SCG, you could really consider to be hmm. spinning wickets. Which I think is really concerning because all, you know all of the, the plaudits that came out after you know, the tragic loss of Shane Warne is 
you know, uh, someone described that Shane Ward made leg spinning sexy again. He got kids into bowling leg spin. Well, where, where are, are they? they? Yeah. What's happened to them? Well, what um, what usually happens is... Like, leg spin is difficult my, and kids get jack of it and go and do something else. My, um, my coaching experience, you know, from a long time ago taught me that I was around when I was coaching young kids when Shane Warne was doing all of these things and they all turn up and you, you show them what they actually have to do and they try and bowl a few a few balls of it and the batsman, you know, it's not a very good ball and the batsman smashes them and they go, well, I'll just go back and bowl fast then. Yeah, I'll just go and bowl seam up Yeah, again. just go and bowl seam up That I don't have to turn my wrist and, you know, just pivot off my hip and do all of these sort of things that, you know, I... When I was coming up as a coach, I was always told, if you've got a kid who's under 10 years old, you don't dare let him bowl leg spin. You know, you just don't. You just get him to learn how to bowl and give him a couple of years of that. Then if he still wants to come to learn to bowl leg spin, then when he's a bit more supple supple and a bit more grown and mature, um, the action of a leg spin, like look at Warren's injury history. You know, fingers, shoulders, knees, all of those things are put under enormous strain because essentially the ball, leg spin ball, it starts down at the bottom of your front foot and ends up at the, the top of your right shoulder. Yeah. You know, the, the force generated is, is that extreme. And it's a really, really difficult thing to do and most kids can't do it. Yeah. And then and they sorry. just they, they fade out. Yeah. So, yeah, so that's something I think that Australia needs to really start to, to, to worry about is trying to unearth do we, ha- do we go yeah. down the road of having like a spin academy? I don't know, but you know, India is now that frontier that we have. We've we've got to conquer, yeah. um, and, and so we're we... not we're not going to do it without quality spinners. No. And at the moment, um, there is not the cupboard is pretty bare. Yeah. Hopefully, Tanvir Sanger turns into an excellent bowler, but um, yeah, Lyons nearly on his way out. Swepson's what twenty eight and hasn't really found his niche at international level. Yeah. I can't, and then outside of that, what do we got? Yeah, okay. And look, we do have good. Obviously, we've got good quality um, limited over spinners. You know, Zampa's high class. Ago does a very good job, but a five day test match is a lot different. Do they have the subtlety, the variety, the the patience? to be able to do what Lyon has done over a long period of time where he's turned into a really test-class bowler who can bowl you 30 overs in a day and 30 quality overs in a day. Mm, and Lyon learned his trade largely playing test cricket, so it's yeah. it's a tough gig. All right, I think that will round us out for that and we will get stuck into the big news out of the English camp. So the worst-kept secret in uh, English cricket has been released, and that is, of course, the appointment of their brand-new captain, Aaron. Wow. Ben Stokes. What a surprise. What a surprise that was. I mean, the the logical option, obviously. Um, Interestingly enough, I, I, like, from the, you know, I had pretty firm opinions that he was the man some of the arguments and conversations that we've had over a preceding period of time um, where we floated the idea of possibly an interim captain like a Stuart Broad um, actually had some appeal when when you go into the thought of it. Um, the guy should be one of the first picked in the team. Um, well, that's, the, that's always the big problem yeah. with English cricket. He didn't just... He, 
just didn't go to the West Indies, yeah. which, like, what's that all about? Yeah. He was probably one of the better. He had the best tour of Australia that I can remember him having. Yeah. He was. Um, he he, and he's a he's a he's a fighter, and he's an attacking cricketer. Yeah, wants to move the game forward. Yeah, they but, need they need somebody as a cricketer who is in that ilk. I I initially thought the same. I thought like Ben Stokes does so much for that side already. He's the linchpin of their their batting lineup outside of Joe Root. They ask him to, I suppose, well, he won't ask himself to do it, you wouldn't think, because he's not going to do that to himself, but he was being asked to do the donkey workers as the bowler, um, bowling a lot of overs, being the gun fielder, being the gun batsman. Now you're going to whack the captaincy on him as well. It's a lot to do. I thought that giving uh, Stuart Broad the captaincy in the short term, you know, 18 months, two years, three years probably at the outside, get him through there, and then hopefully another potential captain has revealed themselves. Yeah. There's a lot of talk about guys like uh, like James Vince, who's still okay. relatively young. He's putting together you know, an impressive couple of years so far for his um, domestic side as their captain, bringing, but he's not entrenched in the side yet. So you run the risk of giving it to Stuart Broad for those two years or so. And then if James Vince doesn't play well enough to get picked or gets yeah. picked and doesn't entrench himself, then you're, then you're then right back to square one. You've burnt three years of Stuart Broad. You've burnt three years then of um, Ben Stokes. Ben Stokes yeah. And then now you're still going to end up giving it to Stokes, who's now towards the twilight of his career and, and go from there. So I think that they need to start future planning already. Um, so Stokes is the captain now, but they've got to be thinking who's the next captain of England well, it, because when you when you pose a question like that and you actually think about it for not more than five seconds, you go, well, if he wasn't the captain and you're not going to give it to Stuart Broad, who is the captain? There was Who like, would be the captain? With all things, obviously with Joe Root announcing his departure from the role, everyone, Wisden Cricket, you know, Fox Sports, all these outlets were putting forward their contenders for the role and it was astonishing it wasn't, how many potentials weren't, were not playing uh, in the test, team. the test team that just finished playing. So they had Butler floated, they had Rory Burns floated, they had Moen Alley floated, they had, James, Alley? they had James Vince floated. Like there's like four guys and they go across every article I had had at uh, least had those guys in there and it's like none of these players have just represented them. So uh, if they're going to be the next captain of England, they're going to be they're going to be picked from outside of the incumbent team. And I'm just like that's startling how yeah. just bare yeah. that cupboard is. Like when we talk about the, you know, who's it going to be, it was all, it was always going to be Ben Stokes. It could only yeah. ever have been Ben Stokes, yeah. um, which I just think for both Ben Stokes and England, that's a bad thing yeah. because they tried it with Andrew Flintoff and, like, yeah. he retired not long after that. He just... Yeah. And like, and Stokes hasn't had the best run of injury over the last few years. His body's starting to let him down a little bit, and yeah. you know he's had some inconsistent form since coming back after that latest injury. So yeah. yeah. Having said that, though, he did make an absolutely spectacular hundred in the West Indies in yeah. one of his last Test innings, and just to demonstrate again that he is on his day. On his day, he's as good as as good as there is running around. Yeah, um, he's a logical choice. Quite frankly, 
in my heart of hearts, I hope he goes the way of Andrew Flintoff because it'd be really, really good for us. Because <laughs> yeah, he's, definitely. He, he's a massive thorn in anybody's side. He's done really, really well against us over a long period of time. Um, I don't wish him any success at all against Australia. I'll give me the tip right now. Well, he uh, had to go and ship in some Kiwi, Kiwi expertise to start leading yeah, the so was around that again. Well, it was either a Kiwi or a South African. Just So that would mean that there isn't an English-born captain for any of their sides at the moment because no. Owen Morgan is still the captain of yeah. their limited oversides, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. Yeah, and he's Irish. Yeah. So... Yeah, so it's uh, really big for for England, uh, and I do think that at the moment what they need to be establishing is who's going to be the next guy because if they've established who the next guy is going to be, that would imply that they're good enough to be there, and that's the problem I think at the moment is there's a stack of cricketers there that on any given day are not good enough to play for England, no. and um, and that's the big problem they've got at the moment, especially in their batting lineup, yeah. is that um, their batting lineup could um, change violently. From and, one and, test to and, the next. And probably needs to at this stage. I mean... Oh, I think um, you've got to give some of them a bit more of a go than just the couple of tests because they tried some new things out in the West Indies. Yeah, they fell flat on their face for one of the games, but each of them over the course of the series contributed, but they had points where they didn't contribute at the at right, the right time. time. Yeah. So I think there's... They all had enough that you'd persist with. I still maintain that the best the the best English lineup would have two test quality openers, a test quality number three, Joe Root, a test quality number five, Ben Stokes. Yeah. So um, straight away we've got four question marks, Joe Root, Ben Stokes. Yeah. And I think guys like Dan Lawrence, I think that's a guy who I, can I, do so, that yeah, role. I think he's potentially a guy who you can slot into the middle order. He's done reasonably well with limited chances. I the, the the most talented batsman they've got in that country is Ollie Pope. Yeah, if you can just he get, just has it, no yeah. temperament at all. If you can get him to to start batting properly, to put a price on his wicket, and to be prepared to do the hard yards, because he it looks like a cat on a hot tin roof. But I so, don't know whether but, we got but, under his skin or whatever happened, but uh, I've, I've watched him play against India. I've watched him play against South Africa. I've watched him play against Pakistan hmm. um, and the West Indies. Went like during the COVID ones. Hmm. Like he's just a yeah. Uh, the the two most talented English batsmen that I have watched, David Gower, Kevin Peterson. Yeah. Not necessarily you know, the highest scoring or the best, but the most talented who play the most shots are unquestionably those two. Kevin yeah. Peterson, shot for shot, is a better batsman than Alastair Cook. He's a better batsman than Joe Root. He's a better batsman than probably than a lot of people. Same with David Gower. Ollie Pope is in that ilk. He can play whatever shot he wants. He has got them all. There are no discernible weaknesses. Like if you pitch it wide outside off, he will cut. He will play the late cut. He can get on the front foot and cover drive. He can play off his pads. He can drive well. He can hook and pull. The problem is he just doesn't know when to do it. He'll be sitting there and there'll be immense pressure on him. Nathan Lyon got him a couple of times where he's just, you know, he's bowling it. You know, outside off, pitching, you know, spinning it in, he's not giving you any whip, and he's stepping back and trying to cut and just ends up at top it. edging it to the yeah. keeper. And it's just like that that shot's not on it, four for 60. Like, what yeah. are you doing? Yeah. Um, and, and, and it's just frustrating because you can see him getting to starts of 20, 30, 40, and you're like, this kid is 
This kid's got it. And then you go look at his first class record and he's just scored like a million county runs and you're yeah. like, how could he not be in the side? And then you go yeah. watch, oh, that's why. That's why. Yeah. So as soon as he settles down and gets some more game sense around him and goes, right, how is this person trying to get me out? Well, clearly they're pitching it. They're pitching it back of a length. They're spinning in. So from that line, I reckon I can cut it. But the ball's now coming in and cutting off that shot. So I better put the cut shot away, unless it's thrown really wide. And that's just, yeah, he he knows he's good. He knows he's good enough to be there. But sometimes, like Alistair Cook, for example, has three shots. Steve Waugh probably started his career with two and ended up getting a slog sweep when he couldn't be bothered running, so he had to find a a shot to get to the boundary. You don't need all the shots in the book to be incredible test players. You just need to know when to play the shots that you have got. So the more shots you've got, the better you're going to be, but you've got to know when to play them, and that's the problem with with Ollie Pope. So I think he's a guy that they, they need to sort out, but he also needs... Mm. an extended run in the side. But by the same token, if he's throwing his wicket away, you can't let... So you it's a, it's a, it's a catch-22. He I needs the, more time at the crease yeah. to get used to playing, and if he's not earning that time, it shouldn't be just handed to him. Yeah. So I really think that England, too, they need to look at the guys who've been in the test squad for a while, and some of them really just need to have a red line drawn through them. We don't pick them again. Butler, Bairstow, Burns... Burns, I agree with. Butler, I agree with. Bairstow, like I, like I, I see why you're making that point, but he's got such a great attitude to, to playing cricket. He's such a fighter. And sometimes I don't think he's a red line, but I think ideally he's not good enough to make your side. At the moment, I think he is good enough to make the England side, but if England's going to be back to the pointy end of world cricket... Bairstow shouldn't be good enough to make your side. I don't think you redline him because he's a guy that gives 150% to the everything goes into playing for his country. Um, like when the chips are down, like that innings he played at Sydney, like yes, it was probably one of the easiest batting innings to be on, but he was in there, he was in the fight, he never let it down. Um, and they went at him pretty hard and they, Yeah, and they like went at he, hard. He wore, yeah, he wore a couple of balls. But and... for every innings like that, there's the ones that he played over in India where he got yeah. out three times in three balls. Yeah. Um, so but I, I wouldn't redline him, but ideally if I was Rob Key in the English administration, I'd be looking at that and he would be my 13th, 14th, 15th best cricketer out of the 11. No, I've got 11 spots and he's on the outside looking in. I'd be looking to get him involved as much as possible because I imagine he's a great guy to have around the team. He's got a right, the, the right attitude, uh, brings a grit and determination, but sometimes the the skills execution yeah. is lacking. Yeah, I just I worry about a, a top order batsman like him who gets bowled so often through the gate. Mm. That suggests a really fundamental technical deficiency, which I've seen him try to correct, but it's just left him more prone to being out of VW. Um, very much in the mode of Shane Watson. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Well, Watto did, you know, and he was getting out of LBW and getting bowled through the gate all the time. So we tried a few different things and, like, tried bringing his guard across and tried getting rid of that big, awkward front step that he would take. 
um, that put him in line with the stumps. Yeah, and, it was often a case, yeah. and the same with Bairstow, one step forward to fixing a deficiency, yeah. and he opens up two or three more. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so one final point that I wanted to make before we move on to the the World Eleven, the World Eleven, the uh, West Indies Eleven, is I've been hearing a lot about how you know Joe Root was largely behind. Anderson Broad not going to the West Indies because Root wanted the opportunity to lead a side without those big, powerful voices in the background, potentially. And you know, the, I suppose the implication is that they undermined him, whether intentionally or not, or they were a bit hard to wrangle in because obviously there's 1,100 test wickets between them, and so they would be offering advice or offering mm-hmm. opinions on bowling and changes or field mm-hmm. positions and, you know, it got a little too many Chiefs and not enough Indians sort of thing. So they wanted Joe Root to go in or he wanted to have a crack at it without them and see how it went. And and the implication now being that Ben Stokes is a strong enough voice that he won't let Anderson Broad dictate to him. So it'll be a much more streamlined, simplified message. You know, Ben Stokes, he's a tough, rugged, go get him. He's not going to let anyone sort of, you know, talk back at him sort of guy. My question to you is, he was Joe Root's vice-captain. If Joe Root is in a position where he's feeling strongly enough about two of the best bowlers that England has ever produced being that much of a distraction that they would rather play without them, why hasn't Ben Stokes wrangled him into line for Joe Root? Well, I just find, I don't really have an answer to that question. I just find it interesting that one of the first things that Ben Stokes has done as English captain is says, I want Broad and Anderson back. Yeah. So um, how much of was, how much of a good deputy was Ben Stokes? That's what I mean. So, like... Was he really the loyal It opens up up so many questions. A... Did Ben Stokes truly have Joe Root's back, or was he in that sort of camaraderie of people that would under potentially? Whether it was, I'm not suggesting that there was an active in, uh, intent to undermine him, but was he? If if Broad and Anderson were undermining him, and I'm using quotey fingers here for people that can't see me, um, was Ben Stokes a part of that? Or if it is a case that it was just the bowlers doing it. Is Ben Stokes as powerful a voice as people think? Because he let that happen to his captain. Mm. So I think it's a very it's interesting, a, and it's an interesting uh, line of of thinking that people have got that if Ben, if Anderson and Broad made life difficult for Joe Root, that Ben Stokes is apparently going to be the answer. Because if they were difficult for Joe Root, while Ben Stokes was his deputy, why hasn't he, you know, gave him a kick up the ass and told him this is what Joe said, so we're going to do it. Uh. So is that because he's not as strong as people think or is that because he was in on it too or is everyone over-reading it too much? No, I don't think in those situations. I mean, we, we're learning more and more and more about the machinations that have gone on in Australian cricket in the past between various players undermining captains and stuff like that. So I have no doubt that um, Broad and Anderson would have had very firm opinions about what was what they thought was required. Yeah. And I don't think Ben Ben Stokes was maybe as the supportive deputy as what because as 
one of the bowlers as well. I mean, that's another hat that he wears. So he understands the, yeah. the issues that the bowlers well, are having and, and the frustrations that they may be feeling. Well, that was a point I was about to make because Ben, uh, so Stuart Broad has said on a number of times just little, like, elbows to the ribs of some of the, the batsmen. Like, no. you know, it's pretty hard to... To, to win a game when, when we've only 200. scored 200. And yeah. so almost like there's that sort of angst between the batting unit and the bowling unit. Because yeah. Ben Stokes walks both lines, yeah. maybe there was a bit of angst coming from a batting captain going, you know, here you are telling us how to do our job. Maybe you should go out there and get that mob to go along with you and score some bloody runs so we can actually bowl some guys out. Yeah. Whereas because Ben Stokes has been a very large part of that bowling attack there might be a bit more I'm not and I'm not saying that it's conscious it a bit but more then, empathetic to their yeah. cause than what he was to Root's cause. The bowlers might they, they might ingratiate themselves to Ben Stokes more as opposed to just subconsciously there might have been resentment that yeah. oh he's that batsman that came out and scored stuff all and here we are we're back out in the field after 65 overs after bowling for 120 or what and you know yeah. Whether or not they consciously thought that, but there'd have to be a bit of resentment if you're a you know you know a thirty something year old fast bowler, five hundred test wickets to your name or six hundred test wickets to your name, you've just bowled your ass off to knock the team over for a you know three hundred ish score, three fifty, fairly competitive, but you know still in the game, you know 110, 120 overs out the field, and then all of a sudden you're looking there, forty overs have gone, you're seven for nothing, and you're padding up, and then. Yeah. Not long after that, you know, yeah. James Anderson walks out and he's copped about 40 bounces <laughs> and, and then by the end of day two, they're back out in the field again. It's just like, well. You can understand the frustrations. And so, my, my problem always with Joe Root is he's not an, an instinctive attacking captain, okay? He's not a Mark Taylor. He's not a Graham Smith. He's not in that ilk as a captain where he's looking to just grab you by the throat. He wants to grind you down. Yeah. He wants to get on top of you. He wants to smother you out of the game. He's not a risk taker and he's not a gambler. He won't take the uh, – and the gamb- And when he does gamble, like, you know, winning the toss at the Gabba and batting. Um, well, I don't think that was gambling. I think that was um, – that, that was, was just – when I get to, when I win the toss, you don't bowl. Win, you don't send them in. When you get to Australia, win the toss and bat. Win the toss and bat. Win the toss and bat. And that's just that's just nasty. That it's yeah. like you know. But if there was ever, it's like it's, it's their cold ever, cutter in two thousand and one. Yeah. We don't follow on. We don't do that anymore. And yeah. it's like Nasser is saying, wins the toss, sends them in. Yeah, we don't do that anymore. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I just I just look at it from the point of view that if there was ever a time as an attacking captain. It's, At the start of an Ashes series on the first day where you want to get the ascendancy. To, Especially with to a get suspect the, batting yeah, lineup. Yeah, there's, there's your chance. Let your okay. bowlers get but in. We'll, we'll leave out Anderson. Yeah. And we'll leave <laughs> out Broad. Broad. Yeah. We'll, we'll go in with these guys instead. And it's like, that's not even, if you're taking that as a gamble, I mean, that's like throwing $50 on a thousand to one shot. It's like, you, 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 you might as well just give your money to the bookies. Yeah. You know, it was just craziness. There was no rhyme or reason to it. If that's his idea of taking a gamble, 
I will gamble and see if we can bat him out of the game. Well, it's going to be it's going to be a new structure from top to bottom. So Rob Key's coming in. Um, uh, Gary Kirsten's the new coach. I believe they're having a separate coach for their one day in T Twenty sides. Brand new captain. So this could be the dawning of a new era. So. Hopefully that they've they've got some, especially with Gary Kirsten being the coach. It's not the old style English thinking. You know, we yeah. haven't just got an old English coach that says that this is how we do things because that's how we've always done things. And then we've got a so we've got a South African coach. We've got a Kiwi captain. You know, there might be some fresh ideas coming in and some aggressive, assertive cricket. Yeah. All right, guys, uh, now the time that we're, we've certainly been waiting for and hopefully you're excited about, we're going to get stuck into what's going to be our West Indies Test 11 of all time. As we said at the at the top, we're going to be doing uh, a nation-by-nation nation test, best test 11 of all time across the, the entire history of, of that particular country. And we're starting with the West Indies. And we did start with the West Indies because, as we said, when we started, we thought it was going to be a fairly straightforward one because there's a lot of really obvious players that are definitely going to be there. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. Kind of like Bradman and Warren for Australia. They're definitely going to be in your, in your side. Of course. Uh, and we thought there was... Quite a handful of those sort of guys are going to be there. And then as we looked into it, it's like, actually, there's this guy and this guy. And oh, what about that guy? And we went, oh, that's not quite a straightforward <laughs> thought. So it's been it's been a great, you know, all these sort of players that is is, is cricket buffs that we, we know of, but sort of, you know, sort of think about a lot. And then you originally go look into them and go, oh, actually, that guy was really good. Yeah. Um, so it's been a great uh, experience for me over the last couple of weeks putting this side together. And... Um, this episode, I'm aware this episode has been carrying on, so I'm just going to jump straight into it, and we're going to go with the openers, and I think this is probably the, you know, these were two of the locks. I know there's other West Indies openers out there, but I think everyone knows where we're going to go, and it's going to be Greenwich and Haynes. They're, they're going to be the guys that you're going to pick. You can't go past them. I mean, in the history of West Indies cricket, you can go back through and, and look at it. I mean, you can't just take them as... Yeah. They, they are as great... It's kind of like eight, how we look at yeah. Langer and Hayden. Yeah. Individually, I think there's probably there, there are people that would really give Justin Langer, especially. I think Hayden is probably going to be always going to be one of the if you're going to do an all-time Australian ones, he's probably there. But uh, Langer, you could make arguments for not being the best opener in Australian history. But then you're sort of looking at they've got that sort of it's the partnership. That partnership together. Yeah. Um, and Greenwich and Haynes. Have that. They've yeah. just got that that incredible dynamic record. record they average about. over fifty as a partnership each innings. Yeah, that if you if you think of in the context of that, that team had was getting a fifty run start every and in good time. Like Greenwich and, yes. and Hayne, these guys. This is like. Before a super aggressive one, like, you know, the one-day cricket that we take for granted that seeped into, like, this is, these guys were going at it when it was, you know, two and a half is a, that's a brisk day. You know, two and a half runs and over for a whole day, that's pretty good going. These guys were guys that were really trying to push the envelope. Um, 
early on. And I suppose what we'll find from a lot of the plays that we end up picking is that that's a, a theme recurring through a lot of good West Indian batsmen is they take the game to the opposition. And I think that's something that... Uh, it's the style of cricket. They talk about the Calypso style of cricket. And that, and it's an, it was almost a patent and trademark during the 70s and 80s. And this is how they play cricket. Okay, they will. They come at you really, really hard with the bat, with the ball in the field. They were probably one of the first teams, certainly in the seventies and eighties, that really used to attack the opposition in the field with their brilliance in the field. Um, so, just a, a little bit about these players and why we've picked them before we move on. So, Greenwich played uh, one hundred and eight tests, seven and a half thousand runs at forty four. 1900s and a uh, top score of uh, 220 odd, wasn't it? 226, which I'm pretty sure. Oh no, was it was it Greenwich or Haynes that got that really big fourth innings double hundred in England that sort of finished off the black watch, as they called it? Might have been Greenwich, I think. Yeah, and I think that was that innings. I think he ended up getting it in that one. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like he's just. The archetype for the, the aggressive opener, the Warners, the Savags, the Haydens, yeah. Yeah. the the Gales, who are, is another guy. I suppose he's yeah. you, um, obviously not going to make the side because we've decided. But Gale, I don't think gets quite the respect um, that he does as an opener. He's got two Test triple centuries and an average yeah. of forty two. So, so, so he's. An incredible player. And then we'll, so we'll move on. So that's Gordon Greenwich. And then Desmond Haynes, obviously, is his partner. 116 games, uh, 7,500 runs, 42,1800s, top score 184. I remember that 184 too. So there you go. So 14, nearly 15,000 runs between them, yeah. near on 40 test hundreds, um, really aggressive style. Style opening batsman, and you know, you finally, you know, if it doesn't pay off and their aggressiveness gets the better of them, <laughs> then a lot of the time you were looking at Viv, uh, Viv Richards coming in after yeah. him, so the pain just kept coming. So, um, yeah, so I know there's there's plenty of really good uh West Indian batsmen, especially all through history, but uh, um, that was one, these were two that we locked in pretty early, was yeah, there's been, based there's, on that partnership. There's no dispute amongst any of us who's discussed this about who the opening partnership should be. So I suppose then we move, this is where things get a little hazy. So look, why don't we do the locks in the batting lineup first? Oh. So the locks in the batting lineup are obviously uh, Brian Lara. Yeah. He will be there. Viv Richards. Um, and Viv Richards. Uh, I have both of them average over 50. Viv Richards, the master blaster, re- ho- holder of the fastest 100 in test cricket. Uh, you know, what? There's not is, much more to say. If you've seen him play at his best. He's the greatest one-day international batsman that has played. Like, the guy just uh, – Richie Benno has him in his world 11 all-time side. Well, before he passed away, he released it out, and he was in, and like he was the second guy picked after Bradman. He said, "Was Viv Richards the guy? Is there aren't enough superlatives? This guy was. This guy was. If you could bottle Calypso cricket, the swagger, the the, the, yeah, yeah, the just the 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 cool." You know, and like he just walked to the crease and you just look at him, he walked out crease. to the crease and you go, oh, no. And uh, like he was he was hitting 
the balls out of the ground back when they were using toothpicks for bats. Um, never wore a helmet. Um, and then on top of that, well, people might not forget because they deliberately don't include the stats. They don't. You've got to specifically look them up. The World Series cricket. He was the leading run scorer in World Series cricket by quite a margin as well. Yeah. Coming up against some of the best, um, the best, best bowlers, bowlers in the world. Um, so. Yeah, Viv Richards, definitely there. Brian Lara, the, the highest run score, like highest individual score, well, three of the four, yeah. if I remember right. So we've got Hayden at 380. He's got so 400. Lara's got, Lara got 375. Five. Hayden got 380. Um, and then Lara got 400. So two of the top three. And yeah. I think it, what it's Garfield Sobers as the next. Yeah, 365 on here. So, um, yes, and... Averaged over 50, yeah. more than 10,000 runs, part of that sort of resurgent uh, West Indies of the 90s, or 80s, 90s, um, did a, a phenomenal job at the latter end of his career with a side that probably wasn't really – he made that side perform better than it deserved to off yeah. his back. Just like on he, the weight of runs, that I don't think um, – he's another one who really didn't take to captaincy as well as what people might have hoped just because he was a great player. Um, but his record with the bat is just, what do you say? Yeah. Um, I th- what, they've got two four successful 400-run-plus fourth-innings run chases yeah. off his bat, yeah. if I remember right. Uh, yeah. Arguably, like, there are plenty of people, and I myself am one of them, that at the peak of their powers – Lara is clearly better than Tendulkar, and Tendulkar is an astonishing batsman. Yeah. <laughs> like, like most people have him ranked at number two all time when you talk about it, and I I think that if you're going Tendulkar at his absolute best and Lara at his absolute best, I would take Lara hands down every day. Yeah. Uh, and Lara, that, and that says a lot for... Yeah. The interesting thing about them both, though, is they were both, both selfish batsmen, like very much... To certainly towards the end of their career. Like I think Lara um, was criticised a fair bit for that 400 because he took so long to get it. Yeah. And he was just determined that he was going to bat until he got the 400. Um, Tendulkar, towards the end of his career, was criticised quite a bit for being selfish, for being not a oh. team player. Um, you know, I think the, to be the, to be that great, you have to have a certain especially in cricket. Of, cricket yeah. as a batsman, yeah. you need to have a level of selfishness to be that good because it's a like it's a team sport. But batting can be is a very individualistic thing. So, oh yeah, it um, can be very lonely out there. You got to look after your yourself first and go from there. Um, but yeah, so those those two absolute locks for middle order, and then the other one I think were is quite clear is the other lock would be Cigarfield Sobers. Yeah, well, enough said. Um, <laughs> well, we've talked about Cigarfield Sobers on this podcast so many times. Test batting average of fifty seven. Yeah. Can bowl left arm pace. Can bowl left arm left spin, arm spin. Left arm Chinaman. Uh, can field in the slips. Can field in the outfield. Yeah. Um, just. The just ultimate ridiculous. cricketer. He, in my opinion, is the second best cricketer after Bradman. Yeah. Um, I don't think. I, don't, I think any really, really thorough student of the game couldn't disagree with that. I mean, 
8,000 runs and 200 wickets and 100 catches and, And, you know, all in these times when they didn't play the sort of numbers of test matches that mm. guys like Callis and that have played. I mean, translate Sober's record to the amount of test matches that Callis played. Yeah. Just (laughs) – and Callis is is an astonishing cricketer as well. So, um, yeah, yeah, and – so but those are the thing of the locks right there. So we've yeah. got our two openers and then we've got three middle-order batsmen. Yeah. Uh, and so the problem that we were coming up with is who else to put in there. Um, and some names that came to mind were obviously uh, Everton Weeks yeah. and... Um, Clyde Walcott. Clyde Walcott. I've got Clyde Walcott, I'm thinking potentially as a wicketkeeper position for mine. Yeah. Um, got Evan Weeks, you've got George Headley, who'd yeah. both be sort of potentially batting at three and shuffling yeah. everyone they down. Headley the Black Bradman. Yeah. That's um, how good he was. Uh, average 60. Yeah. Um, at 70 with the innings batting at three. Yeah. Uh, Everton Weeks is a guy that averaged in the mid-50s, and I believe it's someone that Bradman actually came out and said, you're the best batsman in the West Indies side. Yeah. So... Um, Came with very high praise. Uh, and then you've also got, you can't look past um, one of the the real big linchpins of that, like, just drastically successful side being Clive Lloyd. Yeah, the big cat. Um, he was the man. Uh, and he's averaged, what, 45? I think yeah. he had 20, yeah, about 20, 20 test hundreds. Yeah. Um, so actually, it's well over 7,000 runs, and I'm pretty sure he gives 20 test hundreds. Uh, so I've got it here. So he's got um, 19 test hundreds, 7,500 runs, but uh, here is he, his averages against the opposition. So he averages 50 against Australia, which is better than his career average, mind you, um, 45 against England, uh, 58 against India, uh, and then in a few games against uh, New Zealand, he only ended up scoring, averaging 16 and then in 11 games against Pakistan, he averaged 37. So, But against the two big guns of his era, yeah. um, he murdered them. 40, 45 ends and 50, while being the spearhead, like he was the guy that, that brought that team together yeah. and, and dominated the world. And yeah. I think that on... It obviously goes when you when you're splitting hairs between players of this caliber. It's not just purely looking at the statistics and go, well, George Headley has an average of sixty and Clive Lloyd has an average of forty six. So that clearly means that you know Clive Lloyd was also shaped this West Indian side he, into he, into a juggernaut that. He has to be remembered for the things he did for the game of cricket, not just as a batsman. Mm-hmm. Okay, what he did as a leader, as a statesman for the game, he was so highly respected. Like out here, he was revered. You know, even though they used to come in here and trounce us. He was another guy from World Series that Kerry Packer targeted for World Series cricket as well. Um, Yeah, so it's uh, it made for for an image, and and I suppose the one that I really wanted to bring up because. I, when we first started this, uh, I said, look, it'd be good to bring him up just for the sake of bringing him up. But I don't really think he really stands that much of a chance of making it. But the more I looked into it, the more I'm like, could this guy actually pimp a few of these blokes and, and get in? And that's Shivner Iron Chanderball. Mm-hmm. And I think he's such, the, he's such the opposite of what we expect out of Calypso cricket. He's dour and 
boring and ugly to watch. You know, and yeah, he's got that weird batting stance, and it's not as you know, it's not as picturesque and as beautiful as watching you know Lara playing three different shots of the same ball, or Viv Richards clearing stands, and Clive Lloyd and Gordon uh, Greenwich and Haynes. He's just got that square on crab stance, and he'll leave everything and block everything. And but he ended up with twelve thousand runs for his career, uh, over fifty. 30 hundreds, and I'm like, well, that's that's pretty impressive. But um, it's the you, post Lara you, numbers. you brought me up to it, and I had a real thing about that going, yeah, that's a good idea. His post Lara numbers are otherworldly. So we give Lara, like guys like Brian Lara and Andy Flower is another one that we've we've talked about, really congratulating their success in a struggling sides. And how that success means more because it's easier to be successful in a really good batting unit because you know the side, you know, this other side players supporting you. But post Brian Lara, Chandler played 64 matches, which is a fairly substantial career in itself. Five and a half thousand runs, average 64 with 1600s. And then you go and look at breaking down at his numbers. 80 against Australia across eight games. Uh, six games against Bangladesh at 250. Now, Bangladesh are definitely, <laughs> definitely minnows. 250. Um, three hundreds in uh, those six games. 54 against England between 2007 and 2015. Now, that is peak modern England. Mm. In terms of modern English cricket, it that's doesn't the, get better yeah. than what it was between yeah, that's what, Andrew Strauss two thousand and five to about probably about two thousand and fifteen. That is yeah, where they yeah. were still competitive. Strauss, you know? yeah. Cook, yeah. Trot, Peterson, yeah. um, Anderson and Broad have come through. Graham yeah. Swan, Matt Pryor, yeah. Collingwood, Stokes probably would have gotten a start by that. Yeah, he started. He would have, he would have caught the end of Paul's career because he debuted in that 13-14 Ashes whitewash. But, like, that's that's the best that's England. And Ian Bell, yeah. I nearly left out Ian Bell there. So that's peak England from modern in modern sense, 54 and a half. 50 against India across seven games, uh, 58 against New Zealand, 56 against Pakistan, 53 against South Africa in nine games. Uh, and then when you look at in, like on the road, so he struggled in Australia, won't hide that, but he only played the two games. 75 in England, 50 in India. 42 in South Africa and then 65 at home. Taking on that, that's a really compelling argument when you consider the shortcomings of the team he was playing for. So I suppose it comes down to... How highly do you rate those runs in the struggling team as opposed to... Yeah, as opposed to someone like, um, you know, a Clive Lloyd who was doing it and leading a team that a lot of people would say is the best team that has ever played cricket, that there isn't been a, hasn't been a, a side that will match that. I suppose that people say that the Australians under Steve Waugh would probably go close, but a lot of people still think it's the Clive Lord West Indies as the mm. best. Well, I haven't seen both eras and grew up during the Clive Lloyd West Indies era and watched us getting beaten mercilessly over a long, long period of time by these guys. 
Um, it's hard to, like, and given the Australians did you, the Australians were very clinical in the way that they would go about things. You just knew what you were going to get from them. The West Indies used to beat people up. Yeah, they were <laughs> that mean. That was the difference. They were mean, they were nasty, they hurt people, they scared people. And that's the difference. And I suppose, well, if we... I don't want to go down this rabbit hole because that's an argument for another yeah. time, but they did play a lot of their peak cricket at a time when protective equipment just wasn't normal. Yeah. If the current, like if that Steve War Australian team was playing, would they be as intimidated knowing that they've got arm guards and chest guards and helmets as the norm? So that, that and you know, the restricting of the short balls to two and over and things like that. So it is difficult to compare because mm. cricket did change a great deal between those times. Yeah. And I think it's why it's such a great debate. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, the, the, that's, that's what I mean. So for me, I'm thinking at this point that I'm leaning towards that last spot being filled by Chanderpaul or Lloyd. I don't know how you're feeling about it. If I had to choose one of them, I would choose Lloyd. Because okay. I'm thinking that they both are ahead of guys like Weeks and Headley. Just and and purely from my opinion, it's because Lloyd was the captain, helped build this side mm. that took over the world. Yeah. He gets that's why he gets a, a step ahead for mine. And Chanderpaul gets ahead of the statistical advantage of Weeks and yeah. a, a, and Headley so because he the sheer weight of numbers, the sheer over weight of numbers, yeah. and because he had to do it for. He had, to do, he had to do a lot of donkey work. Mm. Yeah. So that's so that's why that's how I rank them. And for those listening at home, why I've ranked those players ahead of mine. That yes, the the other parts of Clive Lloyd's game, being the captain and the leader, gets him ahead of the statistical shortcoming mm-hmm. of Less we, weeks and yeah. weeks and Headley. And then um, with Chander Paul, twelve thousand runs, did it on a downward slope with very little help, and went to. And he did it on the road, mm. and it's hard to do things on the road yeah, for, for modern players. So, yeah. um, so you're thinking Lloyd? You're, you yeah. think that you'll go? I would go with Lloyd. Yeah. I'm I'm thinking too that as much as I really, after looking at that, and really want to give Chander Paul some credit, I just my brain when I go yeah. Shivner Ryan Chander Paul is in the all time. West Indian best 11 ahead of Clyde Lloyd. It's just like I get tongue-tied. I'm like, ha, 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 ha. So I'm prepared to accept that as well. So I think, so we're looking at that. Greenwich, Haynes, um, Richards, Richards, Lara, Lara Sobers, Lloyd. Lloyd. Cool. So there's the batting lineup done. We'll move to the wicketkeeper. And for mine, I only had two, which was Clyde Walcott, and Jeffrey, Jeffrey Dujon. Yeah. I rate Dujon very highly from the point of view that he kept to an absolute battery of fast bowlers and you never used to notice him. And that is a sign of a great yeah. keeper. Unless he did something totally spectacular like taking yeah. a brilliant catch. Keepers was, almost never get noticed unless yeah. they're doing the wrong thing. Yeah, and he was he was just the ultimate. You just didn't notice him. You just didn't see him. The only time you'd see him was, oh, he's putting his hand up for a catch or, or whatever it happened to be, and a wonderful player with the bat. However, Clyde Walcott, please, please enlighten us on the, on the numbers. 74 innings. Just shy of 4,000 runs, 
at an average of 57 with 15 test hundreds. So he played 44 matches all up. Now, the caveat to that is we're kind of doing the Kumar Sangakara loophole here. He only kept for the first 15 or so games of his career. And his batting numbers weren't as good. So we're going by year. So we go after his first 15 games, we're getting to about the early 50s. From 1953 onwards, he played five matches, he averaged 76. 54, five matches, averaged 87. 55, five matches, averaged 82. Had a bit of a down year in 57. And then in 58, four matches, averaged 96. And that would have been after he got rid of the gloves and became a specialist batsman. Before that, he had, you know, he was solid. He had, what, four or five hundreds in, what, that 15 or so games, which is still pretty good for a keeper. But when you're looking at 56 versus 35, actually, I've got Dujon's numbers um, here. So we're looking at pure numbers, 81 matches, average 32, 500, 1650s, but he kept for all all of them. So when you're looking at purely at 57 versus 32, you clearly take Clyde Walcott as your wicketkeeper. But by the same token, you know, Sankakara averages just shy of 58 as a test batsman. And 42 but as it's, a keeper. But it's backed off of, of an absolutely incredible run as a specialist batsman. Before that, we, we turn our noses up at 42 as a keeper, which is still fantastic for a keeper. Yeah. But, um, yeah, he gets sort of held up in this really upper echelon of world keep. But he did... The, the, the reason that we hold him in that high echelon is because Sangakara averages 58. But Sangakara didn't average 58 as a keeper. He averaged 42 as a keeper. So I suppose it comes down to that. If you're looking at pure numbers and that they have the ability to wicket keep, Clyde Walcott walks into that side. He is clearly the guy that you pick. But it is charged by a career that was largely, well, not largely, it was about half of his career was without the gloves, yeah. which so, was the damaging half of his career with the bat. Yeah, and interestingly enough, that would have been in an era of West Indies cricket where they didn't have the fast bowling battery where he would have been a bit more of a traditional keeper. He would have did two opening bowlers, a seamer and a spinner. Mm. Okay, so he didn't have the challenges that Jeffrey Dujon used to face on wickets that all over the world, you know, they played four fast bowlers. So just from his quality to keeping to those guys, and we're talking like we're about to talk about the bowlers very shortly, and that's going to be an interesting debate. But to keep to the quality of those guys over a long period of time and be virtually as flawless as you can imagine, neat, tidy, didn't really give up a lot of buys, didn't miss a lot of chances, contributed with, you know, was a stylish, elegant batsman, contributed, you know, to a lot of test wins with the bat. And, and a lot of the him. time was probably in a position where, like, his job was to go out and, and dash a bit. We've had, you know, Greta Keynes, Viv, yeah. uh, Lloyd doing some damage. We just need to polish off an innings and get out and let... Um, mm. Let these guys get in and yeah. and win the game for us. Um, so I suppose, that, yeah, it comes down to yeah, just what are we what are we valuing more? I suppose. Um, 
I'm tending to think that, well, if you look at it too, Weeks, Walcott and Worrell were the big three of that initial OG West Indian side, to sort of speak. So it is tough. Um, I get the sense that you're leaning towards that the main skill set is a wicketkeeper, so you should go off his keeping first, which is how I'm tending to roll as well, and which would mean that we think that Dujon would be the... Cool. So far, so good. We haven't had too many many, uh, disagreements. Uh, see, this is the, the, the exciting bit now, which is the fast bowlers and what, just how gifted have they been. So you've got Holding and Garner and Croft and, and Marshall Roberts. and Roberts and Ambrose and Walsh and Patterson and Bishop and, 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 How do you pick, well, depending on how we want to do things, how do you pick three or, f- or four of these because you've also brought up a point that I didn't initially think about, which was Lance Gibbs as well, who was the – he retired as the all-time leading wicket-taker in test cricket as a spinner. Yeah. And you typically don't just think about spinners when you're thinking about an all-time three, West Indies three, side. 307 wickets at 28. 28. Um, over a long period of time um, – Interestingly, when I put the team to, when I put the team together, I um I didn't really look at Lance Gibbs's um, first class record. I just knew we were from ten. The guy took over a thousand first class wickets. Okay, you go through his career, and he averages like less than two runs and over. Mm. That's that is a is a pretty handy sort of. Spinner to have available to your best eleven. However, their most successful period in their history came when they didn't bother playing the spin, mm. or they might have. You know, Roger Harper used to get a game here and there. See, here's my line of thinking: if we were picking a balanced all-time team to go anywhere in the world and do what they need to do, I think Lance Gibbs would certainly walk into that side. But we're picking a best of yeah. West Indian cricket across mm-hmm. their test. And I, for mine, I just can't see where a guy, someone like a Kirtley Ambrose or a Courtney Walsh or an Andy Roberts or a Michael Holding misses out to the Gibbs. Yeah. Um, because, yeah, as you said, the West Indies at their dominant best didn't bother and we've got Garfield Sobers that if you really say, well, you've got to have some spinning option. Yeah, he can bowl Chinaman and finger spin. So he so. can give you two different sort of types of spin. So I think... And if, if, Richards could bowl as well. Yeah. We, we sometimes forget about that. We're yeah. behind all of the sixes and fours he hit. Right. So for mine, I can't see a lineup that Lance Gibbs makes their best 11. Yeah, look, I, I could concede that. Okay, just from just from the point of view that when you when you, you look at it and you go, right, well we're gonna pick their best eleven of all time, um, rather than picking a balanced team that like you were saying where you could take it to all conditions all around the world, yes, you would take a, a, a guy who's got three hundred to the subcontinent. Yeah, exactly. But you can't Malcolm Marshall is like Oh, he's another lock. We we're, talk about he's going to be a guy. He's, he's going to be, be a lock. We're not even going to go. There. Yeah. So, spoiler so, alert: Mark, yeah, Malcolm Marshall yeah. will be one of our quick bowlers. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, 
So from that point of view, I'm happy to concede that Lance Gibbs doesn't make that team. I think he needs to get an honourable mention possibly oh, as a 12th man. Absolutely. Um, because to do what he did in, in, in a country that's traditionally been dominated by pace bowling. How amazing is the heritage of West Indian cricket, though, that a guy that retired as the all-time leading wicket-taker in Test cricket uh, doesn't make their best ever side. Yeah. And and legitimately, I like I don't think that we're being we're controversial not. here. No. I think most people would have the same opinion as us. I think we're taking a fairly level-headed approach to this. The guy that was the best, well, the, the most successful Test bowler at the point of his retirement doesn't make the best all-time spot and for his that, country. And held that for a while because he retired in 1970 or something and Dooley didn't take that record until 81 or 82, mm. you know, so he held it for a long time. Yep. So um, he, his record's outstanding. But I, I, I couldn't see that, that we probably don't have a place for him in the overall 11. Yeah. Cool. All right, so we're, we've moved on. We've got the guy that's not there. We've got one guy that is there, Malcolm Marshall, and... Yeah. For those of you that need us to explain why it needs to be Malcolm Marshall, all I can say is just go and watch some highlights. <laughs> like this guy has got yes. 380 wickets yeah. top of my head. I, I, I didn't even bother looking up most of his stats because I just knew he was going to be there. So it's 370, 380 wickets yeah. at next to nothing, 21, 22, yeah. went all over the world. You actually shared a stat with me that uh, the best non-subcontinent bowlers to take wickets in the subcontinent, and he's on it. Like, he's, he's a... <laughs> That's ridiculous. Tell them the numbers. Well, it's 19 or something, and they yeah. didn't. It's just absurd sort of numbers. And having had the privilege of growing up watching him, I have one thing to say. 90-mile-an-hour outswinger. Yeah. That's all you really need to say. A yeah. ninety mile an hour outswinger, as a stock. Yeah, as, that's, just, that's just stock ball. Just and just decimated sides. Yeah. The guy is phenomenal. So now we're new. We've got three other spots to fill, and they're going to have to whittle down these fast bowlers somehow. Um, I think currently Ambrose has got to be one. Um, Here we go. This is another one. What we've got. Um, okay. Curtly Ambrose. How about what? Why don't I give what I think the three of them should be, and then you give what the three of them should be, and we might find that we match up on a couple, and then we okay. can just argue the ones. So I've got Marshall, Ambrose, Garner, and Holding as my four pace bowling okay. attack. My pace bowling attack would be Marshall, Roberts, Garner, Holding. So, yeah, so, so what we're arguing now, cool, yes. that's all right. We can now streamline it. We're, we're arguing, arguing about Ambrose, Andy, Rose, Andy Roberts and Curly Ambrose. My argument for Andy Roberts is that he's the meanest fast <laughs> yeah. bowler that I've ever seen and the sneakiest and most cunning. Oh, and, yeah. And when you can bowl a bounce that you want to be hit for four and then you come back and you bowl the same ball in the same spot and it's 15 kilometres an hour faster... That's nasty. Um, a really good example of this is if anyone wants to go and watch the World Series cricket highlights yeah, between okay. Andy Roberts and, and David, David Hooks. Hooks. Yeah. So he bowls David Hooks a bit, and this is not this. People know this. This is a, yeah. a, a common um, a, a thing that he's done. This is not just a one-off. He used to do this all the time. Mm. He Andy Roberts would bowl just a, a nothing bouncer that batsman would go, oh yes, get on the back foot, rock back, hook it for four, and go cool, feeling good. 
and then Roberts would bowl the ball in the same spot. He wouldn't drag his length back to get it higher. He bowled it in the same spot, and he'd just have more venom on it, and he'd smash the batsman in the face. Mm. Not not beat them, like yeah. beat them oh, for yeah. pace. He would hit the batsman. And that's yeah. the amount of time that that would happen was, and yeah, he just cops David Hooks flush on the head. Yeah. And, and yeah, I will definitely concede that point. That, um, yeah, meanest fast bowler going around, and, definitely. And having said that, Kirtley Ambrose is one of the great bowlers of my generation. So, it's a really, for me, that's a really difficult decision because I grew up watching Andy Roberts and watching the craft and the skill and the fire and just the, the overall total package. And, like, he was one of the, as he started to get a bit older, his guile and skill level just improved so much. Like, he made the ball talk. So, it's really difficult when you're, this, like, this is how fine we're getting, that, that, that where this is, one of these guys is going to come out. The reason why, and I'll concede all those points about Andy Roberts, but Ambrose has 405 wickets at 21. Well, it's technically under 21. It's 20.9. 20. 20.99. Yeah. And the way I've got it is just, you know, he could do a lot of the things that Ambrose could do. He was tall. He was fast. He was mean. And he just had this knack for winning. How many like, games have you just got Ambrose has taken seven for one or six for 15 and mm. just in the blink of an eye mm. has gutted a side and won a game? Like they, they were taught there was a game I think that England had relatively well in hand. They were looking like getting a series win over in the West Indies towards the, the latter end of that uh, great West Indian run in the, in the mid-90s. And then um, I think they were chasing down like, 179 to win or something, and then Ambrose comes out on the fourth day and just goes bang, 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 bang. Thanks, guys. Thanks for playing, and they win at a canter. Mm. And I think that's for mine why I have Ambrose on top is he's statistically much superior to, to Andy Roberts. I think Andy Roberts has got 200 ish at yeah. 28. The thing, the thing I would say in Andy Roberts' defence is that he didn't have the ability to take the big hauls of wickets because they used to cut each other's yeah, throats. and that was you know, it'd, be nothing, it'd be nothing to have, like, you look at the four fast bowlers and two of them would have three and two of them would have two. Yeah, and so, I was about to make that point that while saying that, he had his running mate was yeah. um, Courtney Walsh. Yeah. And how crazy is it to think that we're not even talking about Courtney Walsh no. and what a bowler he was. Yeah. He's a guy that averaged... 20, I think, over in India yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, the, the West Indian, the, you know, the, the four horsemen of doom, I think they call yeah, them, yeah. the horsemen of the apocalypse, which just yeah. cut each other's. Um, but I, I still think that they're, they're both very, very good bowlers right at the top of the tree because we're obviously talking about it in this context. But then you're just looking at it, you, I, I can't, I, for me, can't look away from the guy that's got 400 wickets under 21, and then when you're looking at it going, all right, cool, so he, he, he's obviously had the lion's share of the ball. Mm. Um, but then you're looking at just some of those real match-winning seven-for-one in, in a spell. So yeah. it's not like he's just yeah. had all day at them and yeah. and and picked up a big haul over weight of overs. It's yeah. just like I'm here to just rip the guts out. I've got – they've told me I've got five overs, I've got 30 balls, and I'm taking at least five of you buggers with me sort of thing, yeah. and he'd go and do it. Yeah. Um, I think I read a stat, though, that they do have quite a comparable wicket percentage, which um, says to me that, um, 
you know, they that that um, he had his, they had the advantage of being able to take a lot of the wickets in a hall as well, which yeah. was because I had that point going. Well, currently Ambrose had um, less running mates at his disposal, but um, so bear with me for a moment while I bring up his stats. So he had a twenty. He took twenty-five uh, percentage of team wickets taken. He took twenty-five percent of them, mm. and I think Andy Roberts was about twenty-three or twenty-four. Mm. Oh, twenty-five as well. Mm. So I, I don't think they. And it was tw- two hundred and two wickets at twenty-five. Was not twenty-eight. So. They didn't end up getting his nose cut off quite as much as we expect, but then again, when you've got um, when everyone's sharing it across the board, it becomes mm-hmm. so. Yeah, it's crazy to think that we're going to leave a player as good as either one of these off. Yeah. So I suppose I don't know. I well, <laughs> cricket's a numbers game, isn't it? I mean, I'm I'm very influenced because of the emotions and everything that I think back of those of those things. Okay, that yeah, was part and, of, and I never, that was part of my growing up. And I didn't cricket. get those summers of Andy Roberts making no, our making best right. and brightest look stupid. <laughs> yes, so I, I just reflect back on how they used to make me feel as an Australian cricket supporter, well, I, and I still have that warm. In a glow of watching Steve Waugh bring Curtly Ambrose down a peg. And I never seen Andy Roberts brought down a peg by anybody. That's fair. And I was going to suggest, too, we're getting this close to splitting hairs. It's not Test cricket, but Andy Roberts does have a World Cup victory and Curtly Ambrose doesn't. Yeah. Um, Look, let's toss a coin. I think that's basically where we've got to. <laughs> now you know what? Like I, just on that alone, someone who's been there watched Andy Roberts do it, and I haven't. I'm not. I, I'm not old enough to have seen Andy Roberts doing his thing. Andy Roberts also played World Series cricket as well, and was one of the most devastating bowlers in that form of the game as well. And, and you know, something's got to be said about. You know, being yes. the 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 OG, being the blueprint. Yeah. Is there a Kirtley Ambrose without an Andy Roberts? Would there have been an Andy Roberts without a West Hall? Mm. Okay, well, there, there's a guy who we haven't even discussed. <laughs> like, how many of these players that are excellent? <laughs> we're not you even. Know, we haven't even we haven't even brought up the great Wes Hall, and like he was the great Wes Hall. He was a Super Bowler, but his 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 era. And his record doesn't coincide with these guys. Okay, but he was the prototype for Andy Roberts, for Malcolm Marshall, for these guys. The one who we really need to touch on, because he's a lock in the team anyway, Joel Garner. Yeah. What a bowler. Okay, and he is the greatest statistical anomaly in, in cricket history. I think that he never took a 10 wicket haul in his test career. But look at his record. Uh, 259 wickets from 58 matches at 21. <laughs> Big bird. Yeah. Um, yeah. His first class, first class career, like I said, when you're going back that far, first class yeah. is almost as important. Uh, 881 wickets at 18. Yeah. He dominated first class cricket in England for his entire career over there. 
he was a wonderful bowler. He really was. He was just a and like just would lumber up and just plonk it on this spot and the ball would go this way or it'd go that way or it'd jump up at your throat or Yeah, it came down with snow on it, yeah. uh, all of those superlatives. Yeah, just yeah. so um he he's almost in in the form of a lock for me. Um he, Oh yeah, he, he was he, another one. It was holding be. and Garner were the first yeah. two I picked. I had Ambrose ahead of Roberts, and then I, I I was pretty sure I was going to go holding after yeah. going through it, and end up going holding next, and then tossing up between yeah. the last one. Yeah. And I went Ambrose obviously because I've seen a lot more of Ambrose. Yeah. But um, look, I think from you know taking the emotion out of it, I think on purely numbers and like you said on that devastating ability to just go, oh, I'm just you know go home, <laughs> just go home, done now, yeah, it's like, done now, go home. Oh, come back later, boy. You know what I mean? So well, I think we can comfortably slot Kirtley Ambrose into the final spot on the 11. Cool. And just before we just give him a shout-out, because the guy that we haven't really mentioned has been holding. This guy had 249 wickets at 23 and a half. Um, they called him Whispering Death. Yeah, Whispering. Honestly, that was one of the reasons I got him in there. Is like he's just got the coolest nickname in yeah. the world, like Whispering mm. Death. He just had this. Like almost like running water. It's how yeah. smooth his run up was. Yeah, just pouring he, water out of a bottle. Yeah, and then he had a beautiful side on action, and just the whip that he would get from the, from his um, his rotation. Man, he was so quick. He was so quick. Never conceded a, a none for a hundred in his entire career, yeah. and I'm pretty sure. I may have to fact check this one, but I'm pretty sure he never bowled a no ball in a one-day international game. Mm. So, uh, yeah. And then obviously went on to be one of the my favourite broadcasters. Oh, I love Mikey. He, he's the dude, man. And um, and since it's become quite outspoken, especially after the, the Black Lives Ladder, Ma- yeah. Matter movement and yeah. and in. And black inclusion in typically non-black, like mm-hmm. England, for example, was a very big well, one. It's interesting that um, the racism that those guys experienced over in English county cricket and stuff like that helped to forge them into the team that they were. Well, that was some of the things that I found quite interesting when talking about it is he never really experienced racism until he became an adult and started playing cricket because, mm. well, he's lived in the West Indies. Yeah. Like, you're not going to be yeah, racist against black you. people in the West Indies because <laughs> yeah. he's quite... There's orders. Yeah. Um, but, and so when they came over there, they weren't sort of like in... They weren't intimidated by, oh, he because they just never experienced it. Mm. And then... That turned into that whole, you know. I suppose like they, I, the players. I suppose weren't. I can't. Well, and there's no been no definite sort of this person was racist. This, but like the, yeah, you know, the, the English culture. public and the culture and, and the that culture sort of stuff. is was the problem. And then you know having like they, Tony, Tony Gregg making them grovel. Kind of well, they went out and made a point of calling it when they beat England four 0 They call it a blackwash. Yeah. Because we're not white, yeah. Um, and yes, yeah, so they're just really almost like a world against us sort of feel. Yeah. And then they went on to just obviously under that that team dominate the world. Yeah. Um, right. Well, I'm aware now that we are running quite late, so let's do a recap. I think we've got there. We're we're happy. We are. We're happy. All right. The stewards are called correct weight, and everybody's lining up at the bookies to get paid, folks. <laughs> Gordon Greenwich, Desmond Haynes, Viv Richards, Brian Lara. Garfield Sobers. Clive Lloyd, Jeffrey Dujon, Michael Malcolm Holding, Marshall, or Malcolm Marshall, Michael, Michael Holding, Holding, Joel Garner, 
Kurt Ambrose. Ambrose. Two Slips in the Gullies, version of the best West Indian Test 11 and an honourable mention to, to Lance Gibbs as the 12th man. And, yeah, the names that we missed out on, Chanderpool missed out, Everson Weeks missed out, Walcott missed out, Headley missed out, Colin Croft missed out, <laughs> Andy Roberts missed out. It, yeah, and just staggering how much talent these small collection of islands have managed to get. Um, I cannot wait to, to get into more of these because this has been such a, an amazing ride down not only my memories of what I've seen, but the mm-hmm. history of cricket and how far back it goes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, Frank Worrell, another guy we didn't talk about, and he was the first non-white captain of the West mm-hmm. Indies and, and he's referred to as the Nelson Mandela of cricket. And a wonderful player in his own right. Richie Benno used to rate him so highly as a, as, as a player and as a captain mm. and, as a, and as a man as well. I mean, like, the 60-61 series out here between those two teams there was the tie the, test was... Um, there was a moment I was reading into it there. One of the fast bowlers broke the Indian captain's, like, oh, he with a bouncer, broke yeah. his face. Yeah. And um, Frank Worrell was there. He was the first person to offer a blood transfusion to because mm-hmm. he was really seriously hurt. I think he retired. He was that badly hurt. Yeah. But, um, yeah, an incredible human being yeah. and, and a fair cricketer. I think 45 and a, mm-hmm. I think nine or ten hundreds. Like yeah. he was a guy that could potentially have been sniffing around this sort mm-hmm. of side as well. So just, yeah, this tiny collection of islands that have. Uh, yeah. and, and, and most of them don't even like each other. <laughs> that's, that's sometimes the problem with yeah, the West Indies cricket because they don't like each other. Yeah, yeah. And they've just gone on to take the world by storm and and for large parts of it, especially from the 70s through to the mid-90s, ruled the world when yeah. it came to cricket. So yeah. so that'll do our West Indies one. We're drawing this to a close. Thank you for those of you that have not switched off and gone and, and listened to anything yeah. else because this we are aware that this one has gone on, but there was a lot to talk about. We'll try not to load up the next one that we do with quite so many other big talking points. Mm. Um, I'm thinking about going really difficult for the next one, mm-hmm. and hopefully Gary and Glenn will be on board. I want to do Zimbabwe next. Yes. Yes? Let's do it. All right. So that's it. So we're going to start with the West Indies. We're going to do Zimbabwe next. And just for those of you that are waiting, we are going to do Australia last. Yes. So don't... We're going to go through everyone else first. So if you're going, oh, wait till they get to Australia. It's going to be, it's going to be the last one that we do. So we're yeah. going to go through everyone else first. And although um, we're not doing Ireland or um, I don't think it's fair at this point to do Ireland or Afghanistan. They haven't played long enough because they're it's yeah. So the players that are playing now are their best. Uh, I'll tell you what, mate. I'll put Rashid Khan in for a lock with the Afghanistan team when we get around to him in about twenty years. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you. Um, that is going to do from us. We're hopefully be back next week with more cricketing news, and hopefully our offsiders, Glenn and Gary, will be uh, yeah, on hand. Uh, it'd be interesting to see. If we had more arguments if um, if Glenn and Gary were here. I know that Glenn would have had my back with Ambrose. You might have found that one. Yeah, a little more, a little more tense. He was. Look, yeah, I, Glenn I, loves Ambrose. He would have died on that hill. Yeah, that's fine. Look, I um, I've got no problem. I've hurt the Ambrose, Andy Roberts. Ah, I don't want to face. I don't want to face either <laughs> yeah. of them. Ah. I don't want to face either of them now. <laughs> no, no. And, yeah, I still, I still remember Andy Roberts during World Series cricket. Man, he was one scary. 
No, oh, and that's it's constantly brought up that yeah. he's just the meanest, the meanest fast bowler that's ever yeah. ever graced a cricket field. And when you think of some of the fast bowlers we've seen, like just in your lifetime, like guys like um, Stain, Stain, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like nasty. And that's one of the things that I really like about Dale Staines. He'll come in and bowl 145, 150 uh. all day. And then you'll piss him off. And he just finds another gear. And it's like, how is there another gear? <laughs> He's already the most devastating thing I've ever seen. Yeah. Why? How did this happen? Yeah. Uh, right, guys. Thank you very much. That'll do us for this week. Uh, we'll let you get on with the, the rest of your day because it's, lo- it's been a long haul, this one. Thank you for being with us. And until next time, bye for now. Sports Social Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.